Josh Williams here, and welcome to another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast. Uh, today, I have an amazing guest. Of course, these uh, bonus episodes brought to you guys by Absolute Comedy. Uh, check out absolutecomedy.ca for all sorts of fun stuff there. My guest today, guys, I can't tell you how excited I am. Uh, I'm sitting down with the Director of Festival Talent and Planning for the Just for Last Festival, uh, Zoe Rabnett. Thank you so much, Zoe, for being a part of this. Thanks so much for inviting me. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. Zoe and I have chatted many, many times, but I wanted to share... Uh, the opportunity for you guys to hear some stories. Um, I never know how to start these because we've been chatting for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, just sitting around having a good time while I set up. So we've talked about all sorts of fun we stuff. We have. We should have been recording. <laughs> we really time. should. They could have heard our scintillating conversation about yeah. roll up the rim. Oh, absolutely. And we solved comedy, by the way. We <laughs> solved it. And now we can't remember the Da Vinci Code of it. So we're going to try to see if we can get all the problems. bring everything back. Um, I always, I never know how to start interviews. Um, so I always start with just, of course, uh, where did your love of comedy start? So I was, as a sort of teenager, my my family always had lots of comedy in it. I think that I come from a family that found humor in things, and that's sort of where it started. But the uh, as a as a young kid, my parents listened to um, Buddy, what's his name, and the other fellers. I'm sure I somebody, you're you're gonna have to Google that. It sounds familiar, but yeah, it, yeah. and um, the Smothers Brothers, things like that. And then as a teenager, I got obsessed with. Um, Kids in the Hall and yeah. Corky and the Juice Pigs. And I was going to Kids in the Hall TV tapings in Toronto. I was growing up just in sort of the GTA and would go to the TV tapings that CBC was doing for Kids in the Hall downtown. And Corky and the Juice Pigs came onto my radar somewhere along the way. And I started getting obsessed with them and going to all of their shows. And it was the Corky and the Juice Pigs connection that then led to I guess to where I am today because I, I really did follow them around. I was just a fangirl and you were the president of the fan club. I was if the I'm not president mistaken, of right? the Corky and the juice pigs fan club. I remember, I even remember my memory is so shit. I forget things <laughs> all the time and have very few um, concrete memories of my life. My sister is in charge of family <laughs> memories for us, but I remember very clearly when the Juice Pigs asked me to be the president of their fan club. We were in Montreal. We were we were all from Toronto, but we were in Montreal at Just for Laughs. I was going to Just for Laughs as a fan. And uh, and I had been out seeing shows and whatever, and I saw them in the street and we were talking because I was pals with them because right. they weren't it's they weren't untouchable. They were just people that I knew. And uh, and they asked me if I would be the president of their fan club, and I was over the moon. I mean, in retrospect, <laughs> I'm like, oh, they found a way to get somebody young to work for them for free right. <laughs> by being the president of their fan club. And um, and I was so thrilled to do it. But it it led to a friendship with um, not just the guys in the in the group, but also with their managers, um, one of whom was Lauren Perlmutter. Mm-hmm who went on to open and run a company called Diamond Field Entertainment and um, a particularly close connection with Sean Cullen. And Lauren and Sean helped me get a job at the Edinburgh Festival the Mm -hmm. year I finished university working in a box office there. And so I went over and that sort of led me to my love of international comedy and just the global comedy community and how incredible it is and varied and inspiring and all those things. And then I was traveling Europe and Lauren started... Um, Diamond Field, and he got in touch and said he'd be interested in having me come work for him. So I, um, I stopped my 
tour of Europe and came back to Canada and started working with Diamond Field. And sort of the rest just came from there. From there, he had just started um, the Alt Doc Comedy Lounge when I started working at Diamond Field. So I was there for its infancy and growing that, which has been running now for 22 years. Is that the really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so got to be seen, I, I was helping to run that show and program that show and um, saw so much comedy in Toronto. And then I continued to go to the Edinburgh Festival as a fan um, and occasionally with Diamond Field as well because we had clients, was going to Montreal um, for Just for Laughs with Diamond Field and clients. So was just seeing so much comedy and it just, it just kept going. Have I you, mean, that's not what I went to university for, but... <laughs> what did you go for? What did you go for? I got a degree in anthropology Okay. <laughs> from McMaster University. It was totally... That's dealing with animals, right? Anthropology is a bit more the study of society and oh, okay. you know, human history and things. And um, But it's it's uh, it, it certainly wasn't a degree that in the end made any significant impact in my world, but the experience of university was a good one. But I was at McMaster in Hamilton. So I was at Mac for four days of the week. I would go Monday to Thursday to go to classes. And then I would come back on the weekends to Toronto wow. and work at the HMV Superstore, which was just at the hub of everything <laughs> um, on Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. And so I would just be in music and comedy world for the weekends and then at school four days a week. And so <clears throat> as much as university was great, it also was what allowed me to really get involved in the scene in Toronto, which I think was just blossoming and in such a good place that I was really thrilled to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, just the fact that you were traveling around. Like, I remember I, I was listening to something, uh, uh, a conversation with you, because I have questions that sort of stem from the first one. But I think like you were saying, like you're with the Just Flash Festival now and you were with Diamond Field before. I remember the way that you phrased it was, was I, I found very eloquent. A really good way of summing it up is that before, because you were representing people, you were selling comedy before, and now you're sort of in the the industry of buying comedy. Because because mm -hmm. your role, even though we sort of just gave the title, you're you're the person who who books effectively sees the talent and and books the co the comics for for just for laughs. Is yeah. that oversimplification? Or? <clears throat> no, I mean that's a pretty straightforward yeah description of what I do. It is more complicated than that because the world is very big, the comedy community is very big. So basically, I'm responsible for booking the Canadian talent and the overseas talent for all the Just for Laughs projects in Montreal and around the world. But I don't book the Americans. That's a whole other okay. kind of <laughs> ball of Monster. wax. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge job. I mean, that's a huge pool of talent. And so I have colleagues that, that do that. And my colleague, Nick Brazau, mm -hmm. pretty much oversees that. But then there are also others that are involved in booking the gala hosts. And it's complicated. It's um, oh, It blows yeah, my mind. I've, I've booked an open mic show for like eight years and just the idea... I mean, I, I've said this, I think I said it on the podcast this week that people are listening to today, um, that uh, just just booking an open mic show for just dealing with the amateurs in one city and how many uh, people that are requesting spots and how many spots you have to give. Like I, like every month, I just, I knew how hard it was to, to look at all those names as I'm, you know, highlighting them in the Excel spreadsheet and hitting delete. Cause I know they're not getting spots. Like, so I, I've said to people, I'm like, that was me doing this. Imagine, you know, for example, Jason trying to book openers, middles, hosts, headliners, and then yourself dealing with comedy all over the planet and and having a limited amount of stuff. Yeah, like that's so you know how hard it is to say no to, and that the no's are the worst bit because you know that people have a talent and have a drive and for you to say no to them, you know, you know the impact it can have. Um, but it is the nature of, of just the industry and what we're all doing and not everybody gets the spot. And, but it's, 
the really unpleasant bit is yeah, the saying no. I can, I can like, again, and I can only imagine. I, uh, I do have some more questions regarding that, but rather than just jumping right to the, the thick, I wanted to ask more like, cause again, it's been fun for me to get to know you because I mean, I've mentioned before, um, you know, I've, I've, we've, we've chatted many times and of course not knowing the, the person who's, you know, that it sucks that cause it's almost the title, you know, it's not one of the questions I have, but it's almost like the title that precedes you at times. Mm. Does that, does that make sense? Like, yeah, I mean the title. I think in the history of the festival, the yeah. the impact of the festival um, is what people think of when they think of me, and so um, I know it can be intimidating to people to think, you know, that that's the access to mm-hmm. this big thing that's so important to so many people. Yeah, but I, I am just me. <laughs> well, you're. I mean, every time we've we've chatted, you've been awesome. I just, uh, I I get where I like. I said I've got questions, but I don't want to dive right into just and make it all about that because. I, I really do want to learn more about you. So obviously my next question was going to be, what's your favorite kind of comedy, but just getting an idea of the quirky and the juice pigs things and kids <laughs> in the hall. Like I, I was a huge kids in the hall fan when I was young. I think that's, that's one of the first places that I can recognize my love of, of comedy. Yeah. Even though it was a sketch show. I remember when I was a kid, my, my mom used to let my brother and I stay up late um, on Friday nights and watch kids in the hall. Like, so we'd watch the ABC, you know, full house and all that stuff. But then afterwards we would watch kids in the hall. And I think it used to come on at like 11 o'clock or midnight. Yeah. Something like that. And yeah. occasionally, I think either when the season was over, or for some reason they'd have something different. I, I can remember how many times we'd, we'd wait and it was supposed to start and then it just didn't. Some other thing came on and how disappointed <laughs> we were that it wasn't kids in the hall. So, and of course my friends are at school cause I was young. I, I think like uh, somewhere between eight and 10, um, cause it was 88 to 95, I think kids in the hall. So that sounds right. I'm again, my memory is just terrible, so, but that sounds about right. So yeah. I would have been like six or seven. Yeah. I was really young. So I, I just remember like, you know, if it wouldn't come on and I'd be trying to talk to my friends about, did they watch the kids and they had no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. So, you know, Mark doing that, I'm crushing your head oh and all God. the goofy characters. Yeah. No one had any idea what I was talking about, but I loved it. It was the thing I couldn't <laughs> wait to see. And occasionally we would even be able to watch like Evening of the Improv, yeah. like on A&E, I yeah. think it was way back in the day. So I, 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 that was my, my thing early on. I remember seeing sort of the silly stuff. What's your, your favorite kind of comedy? Do you have a, a preference? I do. Um, I do. And Kids in the Hall certainly was, you know, a huge influence. Corking the Juice Bigs, huge influence. Um, and I still, I'm still so incredibly intimidated by Mark McKinney. I am just such a huge fan. <laughs> um, but all of them really. And, uh, and that's such a part of what shaped me. But it's interesting to me that I came from a place where the, the initial love of the comedy was Smothers Brothers and Kids in the Hall and more, uh, not certainly not traditional standup. Right. Um, and I've, I've moved into really just liking traditional standup the best. Um, and I always hesitate to say what my favorite kind of comedians are because I don't want people to change what they do Influence. thinking that they need to appeal yeah. to me because my job isn't to book what appeals to me. My job is to book what makes sense into the projects that we're booking. Right. So, you know, I don't have to necessarily totally love what someone's doing to see the value in what they're doing and where it fits into our world. But I am a big fan of pretty traditional stand-up, but storytelling type stand-up is my favorite. Right. It's, uh, you know, someone who can take a long story and make me laugh through it is, and really tell a story well is my, yeah, is what I love the most. I like that stuff too. I, I remember when I was young, um, when I first saw George Carlin, like he was growing up, he was Mr. Conductor and he was Rufus from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. So I knew that guy, but I remember the first time, uh, 
the first time I was, I was sitting in my bedroom and my mom's like, George Carlin's on Bravo. And I was like, who? <laughs> so we came out, right? She only ever called us for something that it was usually funny or whatever. So it came out and it was George Carlin. And I think it was when he was doing the, the comedy in the round in Arizona. And he was seconds away from starting the seven words you can't say on TV bit. And I'd heard that reference from the Simpsons. Yeah. You know, when the George Carlin's on line one, it's like, oh, his seven words you can't do. That's right. Heard that reference, but I had no idea what it was. So I got to hear him, uh, you know, do that set. And it was, it was unbelievable. And they were doing a marathon of his specials that night. So I actually got to sit and like watch this guy. Now I'd seen all sorts of comedy before, but this was the first time I'd actually seen someone like challenging ideas and things like that. Thoughts that I had as, you know, like a teenager and stuff. And that a lot of people were like, oh, don't ask questions like that, or you're not supposed to talk about that, or that's just the way it is. Here's somebody who's challenging it and actually giving responses and understanding. I remember really connecting with Carlin, so I started to like guys like him, Bill Hicks, um, you know, Lenny Bruce, people people who were challenging things had some, I've, in later years after Carlin died, I actually stumbled across Stanhope. Mm. So I, I, but I mean, I also love guys like Brian Regan who were goofy and silly and, and Jim Gaffigan. Um, so it's it is funny because you can have multiple tastes too. Of course, absolutely. But I remember yeah. the first guys I connected with were the ones who were like, either if they weren't telling a story, they were they were doing longer bits about subjects that didn't just go, hey, what about this? Boom, boom, and then yeah. on to the next one, right? Yeah, and mine my, my tastes have certainly changed over the years. You know, the things that appeal to me now don't weren't necessarily what was appealing to me the most twenty years ago. So our tastes change just as we evolve as people. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean. And these days, I watch so much comedy that these days, anything that makes me, anything that is surprising, anything that was a, a twist or a, a, a punchline that I wasn't expecting will always make me laugh because right. I feel like I can feel them coming most of the time, but that's just because I've watched so much. But And so when it's unexpected, that's always pretty fun. Has I mean, I think this almost would go for anybody without saying, but has the magic sort of, uh, you know, uh, diluted for you in terms sure, of comedy a little bit I mean it'd be impossible not to right it's my job and you know for anybody when it's your job it's a slightly different way of looking at things but I mean I do genuinely still love it as an art form I do genuinely still respect people who do it and admire um, when it's done well so I do still really love doing it other watching it otherwise I mean, can you imagine the torture of if I didn't like it and then watching having to go watch I, so much of it? It'd be awful. I would just say like even even loving it, like I don't know that I could do it all the time. Like I find myself not caring the slightest to watch specials on Netflix or anything like yeah, that. Interesting. I just I it, because I'm inundated with it. And yeah. you to a to a larger degree than I am. Now maybe the variety in the locales, maybe it changes enough. I I don't know. I just know that like I I look at it the same way when I remember when I started uh I was in my twenties, I was doing electrical work. And when you're doing construction and you're working in the trades, walking into a nice house loses its magic because now you know what everything is and you can see how it's all built and put together. Like, I know that when people try to tell me jokes, I listen and I don't, you know, I'm, I've been called a comedy snob at times because someone will tell me in a joke and I don't laugh out loud, but I don't look at it as just, you know, walking into a room and wow, it's beautiful anymore. Like I, I listen to how it's constructed and stuff like that. So I still laugh at stuff all the time. Like you said, if I get caught with a good misdirection and it, and it pulls the laugh out of me, like I still laugh, but I, I do have appreciation for the craftsmanship of it. Now I don't just see it as yeah. there it is. I can see it deconstructed and I appreciate them even more for that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm definitely a comedy snob, I think it's for sure a thing. but it, it just comes with years and years of being involved in it so i think that's a natural but also 
Um, I think I'm still pretty good at being able to take a step back from things and see them for what they are, not just for what I think about them, but for what what value they bring to others or other audiences or other, you know, whatever the case is that I'm trying to work on. So, yeah, but definitely a comedy snob. Really? <laughs> yeah, for sure. How could you not be after this long in, in a business, you know? Well, I don't know. I've no, I, I don't know. I would look at a snob as somebody who's like deliberately trying to make anything that's not their cup of tea seem inferior. Oh yeah. No, I'm not. So that, I don't, I don't yeah. see, I don't see it as a negative, but, no. but I know what you mean. Like in terms of definitely have your preferences yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't see the see it as the negative thing. Like I'm. Da- I'm not. I don't look down on things. I just have my preferences for what I like. <laughs> Do you have any favorite uh, comedians? Well, we were talking earlier about Daniel Kitson, who is the one who keeps coming up <laughs> in um, any conversation I have. And again, Daniel, if you're listening to this podcast, he. I. I mean, I bring him up a lot because. I am a, genuinely a huge fan. I also am a particularly big fan of my husband, Tim Rabnett. Um, but um, Daniel is an interesting performer. He's an incredible writer and a gifted performer and has taken an, um, a unique path to where he is. And he's quite well known in the UK and in Australia, but he doesn't put things online. He doesn't do television. Um, he doesn't really record stuff. And so the only way to know him is to see him live. And he performs regularly in the UK, but doesn't really come over to North America all that often, though he does do New York and he did a run in Washington recently. Um, and he does both stand up shows and theater shows that are all funny, um, but also brilliantly written. And I'm, I'm just a big fan. And he is a storyteller, um, you know, in his, in his theater shows. So I'm a big fan of, of that. And I've gone to see him a lot. And he did just release, finally just released something online you can rent on really? Vimeo. Yeah. Um, and uh, you can, you can download it. I think you get it for 72 hours or something. And it's okay. like five bucks to rent it for, so you can watch uh, it. And yeah. it's one of his theater shows, but he recorded it six years ago and only just released it now. Cause he's just not, that's just not what he's interested in, in doing with his craft was using that medium to show it to people. But I'm a big fan of, yeah, but he'll, he'll, he won't do it. Constantly <laughs> elude me. <laughs> Maybe he'll surprise you one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> I, uh, I remember someone told me early on not to put my stuff online because there was people out there that look for, you know, premises and jokes like that. So someone got it in my head real early that, you know, unless I've already recorded on a special or something like that, not to put it out. So, I mean, everybody has different opinions about this and um, I think they're all valid points, but I also, from my selfish perspective, I would much much prefer that people put things online. I'm not saying put everything on. I'm right. not, and I certainly wouldn't suggest that you jeopardize any opportunity opportunities by putting something online. But people are looking for you. People right. people want to find you sometimes. And when it comes to an industry opportunity, you want them to be able to find the things that you control out there. That right. you you curate what's what's put on the internet that people find when they Google you. Um, and so I am grateful when people put quality sets up, even if it's just short, you know, a few minutes, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And I think it's important to do it. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I had one video online, very short, like six or seven minute. And, um, I didn't, I didn't even remember putting it up, 
but I never pointed at anyone. I, I'm one of those people who can't stand and watch myself or hear myself or anything like that. And I remember I saw it up there and I took it down. And that week I got contacted by three different people who booked me saying, where's your clip? We can't find it anymore. And I didn't even know they were using it. Yeah. That's what they were sending to people. Yeah. And somebody else wanted to book me for a theater show. And they were saying, do you have anything that you could send us to, to watch? I'm like, wow, I didn't realize that that was. Yeah, it's so a tool. People definitely are using it. And I think if you aren't, keeping track of what you're putting out there somebody else is because you know i find that people have had others put up their clips without them knowing about it and then you're not in control of it it'd be better if you are that so is true i think it's important i don't think it it's necessarily for everyone to focus their energies on to do but also it's worth being aware of so that you know what your own brand is that's being out there when you when someone looking is looking for you. That's true too. And of course that decision to not put it up in case someone sees it and takes a premise or something before you, that's fear-based. Whenever you're doing something yeah. from a place of fear, it's never a good decision. Listen, that's gonna happen no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. There yeah. are so few completely original ideas out there. Um, you know, that everybody's there's always going to be more than one person thinking of something as a premise at the same time, always. And, you know, it's just a question of what you do with it. And so if you, if you know that that's just going to be a thing anyway, then, you know, who's like, yeah. fine, let someone take your premise. Let's see what they do with it. Right. But, you know, it's not, it's just not worth being afraid of that, I think, to limit what you put out there. Yeah. And to miss all of the good opportunities for the sake of the chance of the, the one bad yeah, one. No, you're right. It, it makes sense. I mean, uh, I'm just looking through my questions here because I have so many for you, but at the same time, I don't want to throw too many. Did people send questions in through your... I got two. I couldn't... <laughs> I, like comics, right? Same thing here. Me, missed opportunity, not putting things up. I go, we're sitting down with Zoe from Just for Laughs. Guys, send your questions and I got and I got two. It so. is. It's amazing that people... I know that there are people who have questions out there. I know. And I know that there's a lot of misinformation about how we how just for laughs works and how the process works and um you know what we're what we're looking for and what we're programming like people have questions they do oh, but yeah. they don't ask us they ask other comics which i also understand cuz you're all around each other all the time but uh, you know the 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 plans of just for laughs change every year our mandates change our tv partners um you know have different projects we have different um you know shows get like so much changes year to year that the information isn't accurate if you don't know it currently even i don't know sometimes right. what we're going to be doing in any particular year so if you're relying on information from the community, it's possible that it's outdated. Lots of, I mean, there's tons of good advice out there that, you know, you you are all talking to each other about, right. and I'm glad for that. But the information about how we operate changes. And so, you know, if, unless you ask, and I'm always amazed that people don't ask. And, <laughs> you know, I think part of the reason you asked me to do the podcast was because um, there's this document that is circulating that mm -hmm. anybody can have. It's a, it's basically a, a frequently asked questions document about us and how we work. And, um, you know, just a few tips and some just general guidelines and some information to help dispel some of the misinformation. And in it, I say, I'm, I'm just a human being. I'm really easy to find. And <laughs> yep. if you have questions, ask me to do your podcast and you read it and asked me, but that document is out there for so many people. And, and I know it answers questions. So people maybe don't then have the same questions for me, but it's amazing to me how few people actually reach out when I know there are tons of questions. Asking is so, is, is so hard. I have been very, very lucky because I, I don't know why, but I've gotten over the asking fear 
I mean, there's a lot of things. I uh, I sat down with Paul Verzi the day after he filmed his special in New York at his mm. at his home. Paul and I are good friends, but I was going like he's been talking about filming the special for a year. He's doing it, you know, in, in surrounded by uh, Pete Davidson and Bill Burr were producers. Like everybody was there. Bob, Robert Kelly, a ton of people, and I was just I was chatting with him. I was going down to see the thing. And in my head, I'm like, I'd love to sit down and record with him like the day after, like, hey, what was that all like? But I go, you know what? The amount of family that's going to be there and his other friends and Lord knows how many New York people who have podcasts. I go, there's no chance he's going to want to do it. But I thought if, but, but if I don't ask and he would have said, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to hate myself. So I asked. And of course he said, yes. So sometimes just little things like that is just take the chance to ask Absolutely. and say like, because you'd be surprised but a lot of the time. Genuinely the worst that someone can say, sorry. No, no, please. I, I see the background. You should. You don't have to take that. No, no, no. I don't have to answer it. I just was worried that it was vibrating. Is that your constant background, or is that the call from? That's just the call from the office. Yeah. Can you forward that to me? I'll just start taking calls. <laughs> Who are we booking for this show? I don't. I can't do a very good Zoe, but I can. I could probably do you with laryngitis. Hilarious. Unless you guys have passwords. Do you have like code words so that they know it's actually someone has commandeered your phone? No. Uh, I promise it's not that high tech. I've just put the Just for Last logo in for the office phone number. That's all I've At done. first I thought it was your background. It was just a text message came in. I'm like, you're very committed. No, someone's very... calling me from the office. So um, yeah, you can't know until the worst someone can say is no. And, and then you're in the same boat you were in to begin with. Exactly. So and the the the, the, the possibility that someone's going to be cruel about saying no is so slim, right? Especially if you're asking from a kind place, kind spirited dialogue and, um, and requests don't get, don't get a reaction that's so bad. So if you're just asking genuinely, then the worst someone can say is I, I just can't or no, no, that doesn't appeal to me or whatever, but yeah. it's not going to be the end of your life for asking. So. That's, that is true. I know that, um, there's some people, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'd like to think that I'm out of maybe the first rung of the ladder in terms that I'm not, you know, in the open mic scene exclusively, right? Like I'm, I'm working and stuff, but I know that at the open mic level where everyone's running shows and there's, there's almost, um, I don't want to say an arrogance. There's a lot of great open mic scenes, but there are parts of the scene where, you know, the, the, the better shows tend to be a little more. Sometimes you get people who've got like a bit of a kiss the ring attitude with, with no business of having it. So I think potentially there's a part of fear there that they're used to like, cause you were, you're absolutely right. When you're talking to people at any professional level, if you're asking kindly, sincerely with respect, then yeah, you're not going to get a, a mean, you know, response, but there is a, a bit of a, you know, piranhas attitude sometimes at the open mic. So it could be that's maybe some of that's yeah comes from that area. But again, it's a shame really, cause it doesn't need to be like that, but um, yeah. yeah, but I know that happens. Yeah. And, and that's the fun thing too. Well, fun, funny thing about it. Is just you. You learn too that, like, I guess, when you're new to comedy, it's it's just a hobby. It's fun. It's kind of like a clubhouse. Everybody's friends, kind of. But you really you do grow when you appreciate the business aspect, and that that gets you know us talking to to more about your role. Is at the end of the day, like you said, it's not it's not your personal tastes that decide who goes to the festivals. You have a mandate. You have shows and roles to fill. So it's not so much like okay, well, I just like this, so it's going to be that way. Like you understand that in terms of business. You can go ahead and book a show full of people that you like, but at the end of the day, it might not be the kind of show that's going to fill a theater and make a business profitable at the end of the day, because it mean, is a business. Yeah, and I wouldn't be doing my job well if I was only booking people that I enjoy yeah. specifically to my tastes. Yeah, when I have guests over, I can't play the music I want to listen to because yeah. everyone will leave. No one wants to hear Sheryl Crow and Seal all night, okay? <laughs> I mean, the good news about the 
about Montreal in particular is that there are so many shows going on with so many different mandates that it allows us to book a lot of different styles and types of comedians. And so it, it allows for a lot of variety and that's a good thing for the community in general. hundred percent. Do you, do you have an idea? Like I can't, I can't even imagine, but do you know how many comedians you see in a year? Oh, like, have you ever tried to ballpark it or, or? it's a lot. <laughs> Um, I did try and ballpark it at one point in the last couple of years. Um, but it is, I think I, well, yeah, I'm just going to be making up numbers if I say it now, but it is, I, I see, I mean, in Toronto alone, I see at least 200 live showcase sets and oh then video God. and that's just in Toronto. And then of course the rest of the country and then I go overseas and Edinburgh and the Melbourne festival. And so, I, I mean, yeah, it's I yeah, they would tons. <laughs> so many. <laughs> is it like I cuz I wanted to ask like what a typical year is like for you because again, a lot of people go, "Oh, just for laughs, it's 2 weeks in the summer." Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's like comedy. You know, people see a 7-minute set and they don't understand how much writing and practicing mm. and, and all that goes into it. And the same for yourself. Like your job is year-round. You have so much to do in preparation and then it's just, you know, what everyone sees is that 2 weeks. Yeah. Like do you get time off in the year? Is there is there like a, a a spot of time that's just for you and then what does the work year look like? The work year is pretty year-round now um because we have festivals year-round. So, I mean, Montreal is the one that everybody um, is focused on and it's our biggest one certainly. And, um, it's where also we film the most, uh, television. And so it's, it, what, it's what outputs the, the most for the world to be aware of. Um, and it's the biggest and requires the most amount of work. And that's the one in July, but we also have, um, you know, we, we have a few, a few really big festivals. JFL Northwest is the Vancouver festival. And it just took place, uh, last week okay. in, at the beginning of March. And we have a uh, JFL 42 in Toronto and that's in September. And we have uh, just for laughs Sydney in Australia. And that's, that varies a little bit, but it's usually in October um, or in and around there this year, it's in November. Um, and so because they're spread out through the whole year, it's a year round booking process now, all of it. And so showcases, uh, showcases anytime anybody gets seen by anyone who's in programming at just for laughs they're being considered for all things just for laughs and that can be those four festivals it could be our bermuda festival that's in january it could oh, be it, there's so many that sounds amazing there's so many different <laughs> things in our tours our road show um you know opening acts for any of the people that we're putting across the country you know and someone when Mike Birbiglia is touring and needs an opening act, then it, I have to be the one to know who's in that city and who would make the most sense to open for him. So it's a year round thing now. And as, as a result, showcases are a bit spread out, um, at least the ones in Canada. Right. And I should reiterate that the process in the United States is different. The process overseas is different. So I'm sort of just focusing for today's conversation on what, of course, how it works in Canada. But the Canadian showcases spread out a little bit more. So, you know, they kind of start in the fall and go through the spring, um, you know, and because I live in Toronto, the Toronto ones get spread out for weeks and weeks and, you know, so that they're not at one big bunch of showcases. So, yeah, it's kind of year round. As a result, it's very hard for me to take holidays. Mm. Um, but Christmas is uh, a nice break and I try and take breaks other times of the year. But yeah, it's but hard. Stop, it's, eh? It is a bit year round. Yeah. So much flying, I'm sure too. I do fly a lot. Yeah. Which I used to enjoy more. I don't enjoy it as much. I'm, I'm good at it, but I don't like it kind of thing. But it's just sort of the nature of what I is part of. It just comes with the gig. Yeah. 
Do you need to get a set of, uh, I got a set of these earlier this year. They're, they're Bose like earbuds, yeah. but they're noise canceling Yeah, and they last for like 16 the, hours. Yeah. The technology these days for that kind of stuff is pretty great. Yeah. yeah. They're still wired, but they have this big battery on the end of them and they completely block out yeah. sound. Isn't that great? It's great to be able to, to knock that. I want to wear those around <laughs> all the time, not just on airplanes, but just keeping the noise levels down in the whole world. I, yeah. I haven't been on a plane yet with them because I just got them before Christmas. But uh, I was walking down Young Street in Toronto and I heard nothing. Yeah, it's wild, Like eh? just just the music or whatever. So like cars honking and stuff. I mean, I was paying attention. I can't just walk yeah. into traffic and not get any kind of... But it was it was like that. And I was chatting with Pete Johansson and he has the same ones too. Yeah. He does a ton of flying. He's like, I hear nothing on yeah. the plane. No turbines, nothing. And Netflix lets you download... Uh, download movies if you have the app yep so instead of having to watch whatever's in the plane you can just download some stuff in your phone yeah. plug those they bad don't boys allow in here everything nothing. they have i don't know there's some stuff you're not allowed to download and some stuff you are really? but yeah they do allow a lot of it so yeah i can download a lot of stuff i heard this this year and uh i don't know how accurate it is because i don't research anything i hear i just hear it and perpetuate it that's the way um, to do things right <laughs> but, I, uh, but i at least put that in there that i have no idea if it's accurate or not a lot of people are like did you know and this is 100 percent true <laughs> Um, that, uh, the Disney is pulling out of Netflix at the end of the year. No, I don't think I knew that. So Disney has decided that, that, cause they have all, they own the Marvel stuff and they have Miramax and all those sub companies of Disney, not to mention Lord knows how much of the kids content on there is all Disney. I know yeah. there's Nickelodeon and Disney and I think, um, so Disney's pulling out and they, I obviously are probably going to make the smart move to create their own streaming service. Cause why well, just have the deals when. They could do it themselves. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear that. I also heard, again, not 100% sure, Disney's buying Fox. What? Yeah. All right. Well, I so, haven't heard that either. So let's assume it's fact. Yeah. So again, all the Fox <laughs> stuff is going to go on. So we might have to switch streaming platforms. So Netflix, let us download everything is the point I'm making. <laughs> or I'm going to switch to Disney. They can, they can own me. Um, <laughs> what else do I have here? I have, like Again, I have so many questions. I was checking the time because I was concerned. I'm actually an hour ahead of schedule i thought we were getting close to two because i was saying i have a i have a doctor's appointment after this and i'm totally prepared to tell them let's just do that another time because uh as much as i love my doctor he never tells me anything good <laughs> never said josh you're exactly the right weight uh <laughs> let's see here um because I, I again i want to don't want to bounce around too much but um I guess this is sort of a silly question, at least in reading it, but I wanted to ask is like, do you ever feel like there's any comedy that ever, like type of comedy that maybe goes out of style or that a type of comedy that never goes out of style? Like obviously the regular stuff, but people refer to a lot of like alt comedy now, and just as an example. And I don't think that alt comedy is ever something that really didn't exist and, you know, then just came into it. It's, it's more of, as the population increases more stuff. So do you find that there's any styles that, come and go like bell bottoms or I think everything is there's always a place for everything I think certainly there are trends right and and that as with any other industry there's fashion trends there's music trends there's comedy trends um, and those kind of come and go a little bit but there's always an alternative comedy always right. because whatever it is is just not what's in the mainstream um and I think that we're in a we're in a funny place now where there was this alternative comedy world for a long time that now has become popular enough that it's hard to define as alternative anymore. Right, right. It's mostly just 
quirky, I guess, is, you know, and so people think of it as alternative, but alternative by definition is alternative to the mainstream. And right. And when it becomes mainstream, you can't call it that anymore. But it always exists. There's always something that is happening in, in you know, small rooms kind of off the beaten track, places that people are developing, you know, new ways of doing things that hasn't quite yet hit um, the mainstream. And so that would be whatever is, whatever is the alternative of the current time. Um, But it's always there. It always exists somewhere. And the trends come and go depending on what's happening in the world. You know, obviously things like the Me Too movement are influencing Mm -hmm. comedy hugely right now and that kind of stuff. But um, it it, it comes and goes. Some things last a long time. Some things go away quickly um, depending on whatever's happening. Last year, I only heard Tinder jokes for a year. Yep. That was it. <laughs> I was going to so, say, are you excited for the uh, the Trump jokes this year? Well, the Trump jokes <laughs> have been around for a yeah. while. There was a yeah. festival that we were worried because everybody had Trump jokes, and it was the festival before the election. And so we, of course, thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> we're going to have a festival full of Trump jokes, and then in the fall, he's not going to get elected, and then we're going to have all this footage oh. that was filmed of all these Trump jokes that's now going out after the election, and it's not going to make it's not going to work anymore because he didn't get elected. Well, turns out we didn't need to worry about that particular problem. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of Trump jokes though. I've, there's definitely a decline on Trump jokes. I'd say right now, because it's just too scary to laugh at in a lot of cases. And people are making, you know, are, are finding other things to, to be um, talking about because I think we all kind of need it to not talk about Trump so yeah. much. Though it certainly exists, plenty of it. It's just not as prevalent as it was when he was running for election. Yeah. Right. Well, back when it was like, can you imagine? And exactly. now everyone's like, oh, shit. Yeah. We don't have to imagine. And we didn't think of some of those things that he was going to do. Yeah. So I actually hear fewer Trump jokes now than I used to. Yeah. Well, that's good. I've never been a big pop culture guy. I, I guess I got lucky and I learned, I don't want to say learned that lesson because it's obviously a good skill to have and write jokes you know, often, but I remember early in my, in my career, I, I would write jokes about, you know, certain local news events, not necessarily local references, but local news things. And just as you're getting the joke stronger and stronger, that, that event was longer and longer ago. So you, the joke, you know, gets better, but you feel the laughs tapering off as people start to forget and it's less common knowledge and stuff like that. So, um, even, uh, I remember I, I wrote a joke a long time ago and then a month later, once I got it kind of where I like just a small little minute joke, um, South Park did an episode that not only had that product, but the same twist on it that my joke had. And I remember walking in absolute and all the, Nick Carter came right up to me. He's like, dude, did you see South Park last night? I go, <laughs> yes, I saw it. The joke is gone. Right. Because it doesn't matter whether the people in the area, the comics know that it's not lifted idea, the audience will see that and go, yeah, we all saw that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I just learned early on that if I, if I draw from my own life and my own experiences and things like that, it's less likely that, you know, everybody's talking about it. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just, I always think the, the Monica Lewinsky type jokes and, uh, and those things, it's like, yeah, everybody's seeing that across yeah. North America. So even though it's not stolen, you're just, you're dipping into the same pool as everyone else. So the odds that you're writing the same joke as someone else go up exponentially. Yeah. But you know, if I open the window and a pigeon flies into my room and sits on my ceiling fan and shits all over my bedroom, odds are that's something that happened most likely <laughs> just to me. I don't have to worry, which I still haven't written. I've told that story and everyone's saying, why isn't that? That's a why real isn't that thing? A, that's oh insane. God. Oh yeah. And I was sick. So I was like, I want to lay down. 
I want to just have a nap. I want to feel better. I opened the window because it was the summertime. I just wanted a little bit of a cool breeze and a pigeon flew into my apartment, right into my bedroom and just the layout of the house, it couldn't get out. And so I'm like, oh, now I got to get this thing out here. I'm like sick as a dog. And so this thing comes in and it, it, it slams into one of my windows and shits. And it <laughs> tries to swap, flies one, hits the other window, shits. Then it flies up onto the ceiling fan, sits on the blade. It was just going slowly, but it's just merry-go-round painting my walls and my curtains. And, and they're all black. Everything's oh, black. God. So it's just painting white all over my room. So I, I again, I, and I'm an animal lover. I, so I just, I went and I grabbed the towel and I tried to catch it and gently let it at the back door. And then I spent the next two hours cleaning bird shit out of my <laughs> There's for sure jokes in there, for sure. There has and to just, be. Yeah, and the thing too is like, I'm telling people this and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just angry and frustrated about the thing. That people are dying laughing about how, and I'm just like, I just, but you know when you're sick, you're like, <laughs> just want to sleep. I think I just, I, I started cleaning up so much of it, throwing it and I just went to sleep on the couch with the door closed. Yeah, of course. Time. What other choice is there really? There are jokes but, in there somewhere for sure. Um, I mean, if we don't laugh at these things, then honestly... <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> like it's just one of those like when you ask the universe sometimes what next and then it and then it answers and then it you. delivers you a yep. pigeon. Yep. So, yep. but anyways, yeah, I uh, so sorry about that. I'm having I'm having a lot of fun. I hope you're enjoying <laughs> yeah, yourself too. This gives me an opportunity to talk about stuff that I never talk about. <laughs> have you? Uh, I guess here's a good question. Right, we'll let them be the judge. Um, have you noticed anything in terms of like the evolution of stand up since you started? Is there any 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 trends or anything? interesting because I, I like i like when we were talking about alternative comedy just one of the thoughts in my head was i remember 40 year old virgin came out and and everything with that the judd apatow stuff with a lot of this like in in movie humor there's a lot of that awkward you know humor where the funny is coming from the situations being awkward and the person not knowing what to say but that reminds me of stuff like the smothers brothers and uh and was it bob newhart like that to me was almost sort of like a an alternative comedy kind of thing. Cause it wasn't set up punch. It was just the humor was just from how awkward the situation was and, and the conversation. So, I mean, not to, to draw directly to that, but just have you noticed anything in terms of when you started to now, like, like trends that you're seeing in comedy or types or things like that, that. Well, certainly I'm excited about the, that the, the fact that there are just way more women um, and um, you know, visible minorities that are getting involved in comedy in a way that mm -hmm. they just didn't when I was, you know, 20, 25 years ago when I was starting out, it, it was just all white dudes, yep. which, you know, just didn't reflect our world and our right. society. And I, I'm such a big fan of comedy being a reflection of our, of our world and of our culture and being able to hear all the different perspectives and commentary on life. And certainly lots of people are just telling silly jokes, but right. lots of them are also commenting on our culture and, and the world at large. And to be able to get that diversity um, more prevalent in comedy is is improving the, the the genre the art form exponentially it's it's really exciting to see and it's exciting to hear different um different opinions different yeah. perspectives on the world so i'm that's the that's the thing i'm most excited about that's changing in comedy now do you find like i guess i'll use this example it might tie into my next question is I, I kind of like the idea, like, well, actually, I thoroughly like the idea. It's like you said, it's like you're getting other people's perspectives, not just from one group. Like, you know, on social media, when somebody posts a story, this happened. If you don't agree with me, unfriend me now, whatever. And I always just look at that and go, well, what a 
perfect way for you to stay in your own little bubble and, and maintain mm. only the mindset that you have and, and not grow at all. Like it's through listening to other people's thoughts and differences of opinions and stuff like that, that we let in new information that we get to grow. And I, I wanted to ask you, speaking of social media, have you, have you seen a big change in, in comedy and whatnot because of social media, like smaller attention spans and anything like that? Has that affected, you know, maybe festival shows and, and how you have to book comedy and things like that? Certain, I'm sure. I'm sure that's mm -hmm. true. I'm sure that's that's the case. I'm I'm a fan of social media personally, but only to a certain extent. Otherwise, I find it difficult. Um, it's just overwhelming, and there's just so much, and it's impossible to keep up, and it's sometimes hard to look at it all. And it's you know can be very negative. And um, the the fact that so many people can say whatever they want behind the secrecy and that hi hiding behind a keyboard is. Um, alarming, but for sure it's affecting things. For sure, it's impacting how um, how comedy is received mm -hmm. and how it's marketed. I think that's the biggest thing, actually, is how how our worlds are being marketed to us. Um, you know that to know about what's happening, you need to be able to be savvy with social media and marketing techniques that you know that use them, and that it all has to be bite-sized enough that you can get people's attention. So it's not my world. My wheelhouse isn't marketing. I don't, I don't, I can't even <laughs> pretend to know how, how to do it well, but certainly social media is playing a big part of that. And that impacts the festival and impacts how we promote it and how we tell people about what's going on, et cetera. But, um, but in terms of comedy, I mean, yeah, everybody has to have a Snapchat account and a Twitter account and an Instagram. And it's an overwhelming workload, I think, for everybody to maintain all of those. So I, I think I'm seeing more people gravitate to just one medium mm -hmm. and trying to do it really well for them, whatever that means. You know, it could mean Instagram stories that, you know, follow long pieces or, you know, Twitter being your thing, whatever is your works best for your style. I think I'm seeing more people just direct their energies into that rather than trying to do everything because it's impossible. <laughs> it is rough. Like I have multiple things that do because I've got my personal account. I've got the podcasts account. I help out with absolute comedies. I used to do the open mic Monday. So when it's, and it's, and it's not just those four accounts, it's those four accounts on all of the platforms. Yeah. So you don't miss. And it's unbelievable. And most of the time I just forget to do stuff. Like yeah. don't do anything. It's too much to have to deliver to that content and curate it. But some people do it really well. And I think the ones that are most successful, are the ones that are focused and have thought about it a lot and mm -hmm. how best to maximize its use to them. I'm going to have to find one of those gurus and sit down with them and go, okay, what do I do? They're like, no matter what you're doing, no matter how boring or stupid it is, just post. Yeah. Because there's someone out there who cares, <laughs> which is, I mean, after a year of doing podcasts and telling stories, I thought no one would be interested in and people saying, I loved it. Like, you'd think I would have got that message by now. It's like, yeah, no, they do. They do care. <laughs> you don't care <laughs> because you're living care. it, but other people care. Um, what else do I have for you here? I, we got some good questions coming up. I'm trying to make sure I get all the... The other the stuff in the way. They're not boring. It's just <laughs> here's the thing: is like I collaborated with my writing group, <laughs> right? Well, the stuff that I feel like is right. You got to save the the climax for the end. All the good stuff. Oh, this I is just more of the. I find. Well, I mean, again, there's there's no ambush stuff or anything like that on there. But, um, hmm. No, we already sort of talked about that. In terms, like, okay, so do you guys have any? This one, you know, I, I mean, do you guys have any shows? Because you're saying the mandate changes, but do you have any shows that are consistent every year that you guys look for? You know, like any, I mean, I know there's homegrown, there's the nasty show, 
things like that. Do you guys, is there a particular show maybe you guys try to change up every year? I mean, obviously those shows, different lineups, but is there, is there certain shows that uh, themselves that you try to change every single year? We're really interested in making sure that we look at each year um, as a, as a, as an individual proposition that we don't always just assume that just because we've done something in previous years means we have to do it the following year um, or do it the same way. So we really try hard not to just copy paste the festivals and think about them, you know, for what they need to be that year to be successful and appealing to people. And it helps that we have so many different festivals and each of them have their own landscape and are in different cities that have different, um, you know, audiences to them that changes the way we feel about how they're branded. Um, but the Montreal Festival has a few mainstays. You mentioned the Nasty Show that's mm -hmm. been around for forever and that continues to be one of our biggest um, sort of consistent fan fan-based events that is incredibly popular. The ethnic show is the same. Mm -hmm. It's another one of these mainstays that's been around for as long as the, you know, the festival has been around pretty much. Right. Um, and there are always TV, there's always TV of some sort. Right. So the TV element is always going to exist, but the mandates um, change for them depending on who the broadcasters are or what their interests are that year or what, where we're filming or, you know, all that kind of thing. But mostly we try to change it up. We try to at least rethink everything. So the Nasty Show and the Ethnic Show are probably the only seriously consistent in their approach um, and how they're laid out in the festival schedule from year to year. Everything else is up for discussion every year. We do a, a British show, um, okay. you know, like a, a lineup show of, of comedians from the UK. Um, but also... That can change. That's changed a few times to be sort of slightly different variations on the theme. But um, in Homegrown happens every year, but every year is a little bit different. You know, it's slightly in a different venue or something and things can change there too. And so there's there are certainly things that come back year to year, but they're, every year we relook at them and think, okay, are we doing this the same way? Should we reconsider? How should we be approaching it this year? Very cool. Which pretty much answers my next question is to say what's made JFL the best festival in the world. Oh God, you tell me. <laughs> uh, I, well, I mean, and that's the thing, like it's, it's clearly the biggest, but I mean, that, that explains a lot of it is the fact that instead of just going cookie cutter, okay, back to work on booking this show, right? Cause there are shows that are like that, you know, the, the ones that's like, this is what you expect every year. And now we just have to go find the, the faces to do it. I mean, there's, there's shows that the same, same formula, you just find the different comic to fill that formula. So the idea that you guys are not only changing the lineups, but you're changing the shows too, and, and what's necessary in them, that's. That's I mean, huge. I think all businesses need to be thinking about the year that they're in, you know, how, how businesses are changing, how audience are changing, how mindset is changing, how mm -hmm. pop culture is changing. If you don't move with the times, yep. then you get left behind. So yep. it's the same thing with producing live events or producing TV shows. You have to be thinking about the, the world you're living in right now, not just what you've always done. That's right. And all some people get comfortable. That. Yeah. All yeah. businesses do that. So we're, we're, we're always driving to think ahead. And the, the conference side of the Montreal festival is probably the best indication of that. Cause it's, it has grown huge over the last few years and it, it is always about right now. It's always about, you know, panel discussions. It's about, um, 
it's it's about Q and A's. It's about the people of right now and who's influencing our industry and talking to them about it. So it, it is always striving to be very current and thinking ahead to the next things. So that forces us to think about it in depth for the whole festival. Now, this is something that I'm sure you guys have already thought of, but I'm going to throw it out here just because I'm thinking of it. Is uh, and of course we're we're playing with the medium right now. Is have you guys considered doing a, a portion of the festival being a podcast thing? They did yeah. one in Arizona this year, I believe. Yeah, it's um it's something that's come up uh, a number of times and has kind of been looked at a few different ways. Um, and you know, I think that there are a lot of these terrific ideas that um that could. Um, could get incorporated into the festival. And ultimately, it often comes down to just manpower, that it's mm. hard to, the festival is so massive in its scope that to add to add things to it can be a challenge for us. So, right. But absolutely, we there's always things like that that we're eager to, to do and to try, but just trying to figure out how they fit into things and how best to approach them with who, um, you know, is... Is, is a bit challenging sometimes. So, but yeah, absolutely. We've thought about it and we should really get around to making that happen. That's okay. If you guys need to create a new position and give me a call, I'll start. I'll, uh, Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> I'll be the Zoe the option. No, I, it's just I, I, something I heard earlier this year and I thought, you know what? That's at first I was kind of like, well, who wants to go sit around watching a live radio broadcast? But I mean, the debaters has been crazy successful well, with and that. And we have a ton of podcasts that that record from the festival tons. Mm -hmm. We just don't have a just for laughs specific podcast that we record, but there are tons. There are live podcast recordings at just for laughs in a big way that has grown in the last couple of years to the point where it used to be sort of a, just a conference thing, you know, mm -hmm. that it would be kind of an industry insider event. And now it's absolutely, you know, some of our biggest live events are live podcast recordings now. And at JFL 42, where it's a headliner series and then, you know, and uh, uh, that sort of is at the top of the festival and everything else. We had a headliner series that was a podcast, a live podcast. So it's, I mean, podcasts have exploded and we'd be crazy not to be paying attention to that. And so there are a lot of podcasts involved in our world and in our programming. And we have members of our team who focus specifically on staying educated about podcasts because that, that pool of talent is humongous. Yeah. I, I'm very, I feel very, very late to the party on podcasts because I've only been, you know, a couple of years listening to them, but there's still people who, who, don't know what they are. Some people think that they're just things you watch on YouTube. Yeah. You know, and I try to explain to people, it's like the Netflix of radio shows. There yeah. are millions of podcasts. You find something that you're interested in. Odds are there's a podcast out there that is right up your alley. Why listen to CBC? I mean, well, fuck it. They're not, not paid us. But at the end of the day, why listen to a, a specific story on CBC that you're not interested in? Because that's all that's on when you have access to all of these things. Yeah, though CBC has started creating their own podcasts. They have their own original content podcasts and they have some really amazing um, uh, podcasts available to listen to. So they've, they've gotten into that game too and I think they're, they've had some huge success with with that. There's Absolutely. one that they, it's not comedy related at all, but no. I love listening to it and it's been incredibly successful called Someone Knows Something. Okay. And it's really good CBC podcast, but... Um, well, yeah. that's the thing too. Yeah. Cause I, I have listened to a lot of stories, you know, here and there on CBC, which are great, but I know people who like, that's what they put on at the beginning of the day. And then that's just what stays on. And I say, why not listen to your favorite part and then go listen to what you want to listen to? Yeah. But you know? I mean, the, the point is now, I think that there are so many options and there's so much variety that it doesn't, no matter what, you'll be able to find things to be able to listen to or watch that appeal to you because 
it's all out there. You just yep. have to go find it. So yep. yeah, tons. I uh, do you have a do you have a favorite podcast? I uh, admittedly don't listen to a lot of podcasts, oh. um, so I am am not the best, not the best at being able to answer that question. I do listen to someone knows something, okay, but that's because my best friend Heather um, is obsessed with murder murder podcasts, oh. and this one is about some un- unsolved Canadian unsolved um, drama, uh, Canadian. Canadian unsolved crime stories, and it's um, hosted and produced in um, by a guy called David Ridgen, and he is an excellent storyteller, and he does such a good job with these these stories, and so I really enjoy listening to that. But it's because Heather put me onto it. Um, but other than that, I listened to a podcast that I really enjoyed called um, "Mom Says My Memoir Is a Lie." It's an Australian comedian who wrote a. Um, uh, an autobiography a couple of years ago that was pretty successful, but it was about her life and a lot of it had to do with her mom and they'd had a strained relationship and it was pretty dramatic. And then her mom read the book and implied that lots of it wasn't true. And so they decided (laughs) to just have a podcast where they sat down together and, um, and the girl who wrote the book would read a chapter and then they would talk about it. And it was really good. It's done now because they finished, but they're going on tour and I think she's written another book. So I'm sure they're going to keep it up. Oh yeah. And I just started listening to Dax Shepard's podcast, but it's basically interviews like this, you know, long form yep. um, interviews. And he's, ha- he's had some really great guests. He just had Ellen DeGeneres on this week and Jimmy oh, Kimmel's was really good. And, oh my God. I'd love to listen to those. Yeah. So those are really interesting. And yeah. Did you like, did you watch making a murderer on Netflix? I did. Okay. Did, did were you frustrated like everybody else was when at the end of it? Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I I like that um the world we're living in now is not Hollywood Disney endings all the time, you know, that we're not being we're not insisting that everything gets delivered to us with a a bow tied on at the end with yeah. a nice clean easy finish. Um I like that there are things now that we're watching that don't that don't have an ending because that's not that's not what happened and so i don't mind watching things that yeah well if you enjoyed that there's a podcast that you may have had someone recommend it's uh, called serial like oh, serialized of i loved it okay so you heard it oh then. my god okay so i was just good. gonna say if you're if you like the someone so said good. something, or someone heard something that one amazing haven't heard that one. Oh, so good you've got to listen to shit town that was yeah that's like serial it was so good is that s town or whatever they yeah, call it. Okay, yeah. it's called shit. Okay, okay. Yeah, I didn't. I was like, shit town. I've never. Okay, and that's like the same producers, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, I'll check that one out. We drove so to good. we drove to Halifax this oh, year, and we listened it. to the whole serial on the way. We saved it because we knew we were stuck in the car, so we listened yeah. to the whole thing on the way there. So good again, storytelling. This yep. is what these are that I'm, you know, super into. So yeah, S down. We only listened to the first season of Serial. Did you go past the first season? Yeah. Did it did it taper off? No, it's still really good. I think nothing. I think the first season is is the better one, but also it's still really good. They're really good at what they do and um, are telling great stories. So yeah, no, definitely keep listening. Okay. Yeah. The one that reminded me of of when you were talking about the the book, the 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 woman wrote the book about herself. Her mother came on. Did you have you heard of my dad wrote a porno? Yeah. Have you listened to it? Uh, I have listened to it a few times. I'm not a regular listen listener, but we've presented it at the festival. A oh, really? Times. Oh, yeah. okay. All yeah. right, perfect. Yeah, I I laughed my my ass off. So there's one. It sounds gross, guys, but it's just like an erotic literature that someone's father wrote, and then uh, the, the the host and his friends read a chat. Like same thing. Read a chapter. Yeah. They make their comments. It's ridiculous. So lots of good podcasts the, out there, guys. The live version of that show is bonus chapters really so yeah it's chapters that were not part of the original book and then so the guy gets his dad to write a new 
bonus chapter or a new bonus story, and then they read that's those so at the at the live shows. Yeah, it's very. Good. <laughs> They're like deleted scenes. From yeah, exactly. The book. That's so funny. Uh, where are we at here on my list? I, and I never get like this with the questions, but I'm having such a good time that I'm not paying attention <laughs> to what should be next. Not building segues or anything. Who um, needs segues? What's it? Yeah, Who right? Segways? Who cares? Next joke. We have time. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite part of the job? Um, you know, it, it's pretty cheesy, but you know, when you get to say, when you get to call someone and invite them to the festival mm-hmm. and, you know, you know, it's their dream to be there and that they're genuinely so excited. It really is heartwarming. It really makes it all worthwhile and, um, feels really good. And it makes up for all the times I have to say no to people or not get to invite people sort of, but, um, that is genuinely really fun and getting to see people, um, be in Montreal and, and be in that environment with their heroes. Um, and it's not just always people who've never been, it's people who've been around for a long time. There are some people who come to the festival and, you know, are, are famous and they're overwhelmed by how cool it is to be around this whole world of comedy and, and all be in the same space. That's really fun to see and see people enjoying that and maximizing. I mean, my most favorite thing is when people meet and connect at the festival and then go on to do something together and they wouldn't have otherwise met unless they were put in the same place at the same time um, at one of our festivals. And then you find out a year later they've developed some TV show or something and it's come from that or yeah, or they're working together on in some way. That's always really fun. And um, getting to watch, we we sort of refer to it as comedy camp sometimes at Montreal to see everybody hanging out at camp together is pretty, (laughs) it's pretty great to see it all come, come to fruition, all the hard work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the thing, right? The whole year round for two weeks, the festival. It's technically three and a half Holy if smokes. you sort of combine the French side and the English side. But yeah, it's it's three weeks of English programming because the Nasty Show and the Ethnic Show start a lot earlier okay. and run for a long time. But the the main core of the Montreal Festival, when it explodes to hundreds of shows a night, is uh, is just a week. It's that final week. Okay. Yeah, and the conference is three or four days in the last at the very end and that's when the most industry and artists are in town i've been years i mean i'm i will celebrate 10 years uh doing stand-up at the end of the year and, and i'll be uh, celebrating 10 years of just for laughs at really the end of the year. Yeah. sweet party i have never been to the festival in terms of even going to see shows yeah it's been something that it's it's always in the, and then every year i mean i always wanted to go my family didn't have a car so even though montreal is two hours away we we grew up you know uh very very tight uh, budget so we we never didn't have a car and the idea of going and, and being able to afford it we just we just couldn't do it. and since i've been in comedy i always seem to be out of town or booked for a week somewhere during the festival and i'm always like oh every year i seem to be able to be it's probably because everybody's at the festival <laughs> <laughs> they've got spots to fill. i'm here going I'm, I'm lucky i'm getting work this week um but i I've, I've been meaning to go and i think this year um i'm gonna i'm gonna go I'm going to make sure that that's something. It's a neat thing to do as a fan. Um, you know, it's it's an it's a terrific experience as a performer, I think. At least we try to make it a terrific experience for all performers, but it's also a really neat thing to do as a comedy fan. You know, you, 
I was talking earlier about going as a young adult, you know, being just a comedy fan and just showing up and buying a pass and just immersing myself in comedy. That hasn't changed. That still exists. It's very easy to show up and see a ton of shows and, you know, experience a variety of performers, performers you've never heard of from other parts of the world or someone. Inevitably, you'll walk away being like, how have I never yeah. heard of that person? How is that possible that someone that good has never been on my radar? And that's just all over the festival. It's so great. And there's and there's so much that isn't televised. Because remember, I, I was a kid growing up watching Just for Laughs. And, you know, I would see... I would see guys you know that was one of the cool things about getting into comedy myself is seeing people that I had seen on just for laughs and then being able to work with them and, and be friends like uh, very early in my career Joey Elias uh, was kind enough to take me under his wing and, and things like that and and I remember seeing several galas of, of his yeah you know it's even fun to watch some of the older ones now they don't air as much now the the you know 10 20 years ago ones yeah but it's really cool to to sit and, and watch people's you know older galas again, being able to appreciate the craftsmanship of the drug, but also just hey, like these these people. I, I remember watching this you know doe eyed as a kid, yeah. and now that's someone who I've worked with and who's a friend, and and you know what I mean. And it's, yeah, the history there is just astounding. How much of it? And yeah, we film so much in Montreal more than we ever have in the past. But um, that's really only the surface of the festival. There's so much more in a live capacity if you're just coming as a fan to see. Yeah. To see it, there's an, I mean, there's an just never, and there's an infinity number of shows to try and get to. It's just so much. Well, you tell people like Just for Laughs too, because again, other comics will say like, you know, I've done Just for Laughs. And sometimes people will say to them like, oh, I haven't seen you. It's like, well, not everything, you know, also going back years, but not everything at the, there's so much that isn't filmed. Yeah. You know, there's way more now than there is, than there, there was before. I'm loving the uh, all access. Great. By the way, I love Thank that. Thank you for watching. Yeah. Oh, I'll, <laughs> I, I don't know if this is bad to say, but I mean, I'm almost enjoying the all access more than now. But then again, it could be personal bias because I'm seeing a lot of people I know on all access. Sure. That and could be part of it. You mean as opposed to the galas that are like for CBC and stuff? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, there are Canadian comedians across all of them. So there certainly would be people that you know in all of our film series. But every one of them, it's all about personal taste. They all have slightly yep. different approaches or different sort of styles and are geared towards slightly different audiences. And so some might appeal to you more than others. And that's that's how it works is everything is being, you know, programmed that way. So yeah, some things will appeal to other certain people differently. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, it's so funny too, because comedy is, is at the end of the day, it's subjective. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. So it's funny to like, I remember like, I've performed with comics and not to name names, but I've performed with guys who like I loved before I did comedy. I, I still think are absolutely amazing. It's it's weird because we're always comparing ourselves against other people, but like I've done shows where someone will come and they're like, oh, you were you were my favorite on the show. I go, no, 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 that guy's crazy good. Do you understand? <laughs> like, no, you're wrong. Yeah, it's funny to think any like- Any <laughs> given night, anyone can be the best on the show. Right. On and, any given night. And it could be someone who's the tried, tested, and true professional headliner, and it could be the opening act that's got five sets mm-hmm. under their belt. It could be on any given night, all things are equal. Yep. I, uh, there's a, there's an example that we use, um, in Ottawa and I'm not going to name names, but I'll, I could totally tell you afterwards. And if comic asked me face to face, I would, I would tell you an inspirational thing, but, uh, there was, there was a showcase where, you know, a contest or something like that. And, and, you know, we always say, well, so-and-so beat so-and-so, you know, in a seven minute set. So like you said, you just, you could have a bad night. 
Contests are a funny thing. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with contests. They, I think, are necessary in our, in, you know, in our industry. And I think that they serve a purpose. And I think that they bring a lot of attention to comedy, which is such a great thing. But they are inevitably difficult. And, you know, again, when it's an art, um, and it really is an art form, and it's so subjective, then it it's impossible to judge. You can't, it's not a thing that makes any sense to judge, but also with all the pros that come with it, I think that that's a, it's an okay balance to work it out. But the best we can hope for with contests, I think is to make sure everybody has the best experience they can and don't leave it feeling, um, you know, worse. So, but if you're going to get involved in a contest, that's just sort of what you have to accept is that, if you're willing to take the the pros, you got to be willing to take the cons. Yeah, and, stuff and it too. is a good. They are good things, but they are tricky. Yeah, and it's. I think I, I again. I, I heard you on another podcast saying that, like, you know, uh, with showcases and contests and things like that. Like, it's yeah, it is a little bit tougher. But then again, if you're going to do the biggest comedy festival in the world, like that's going to be tricky too. So we, you, you need to see that someone is prepared for for that situation that they can work under pressure and still deliver and things like that. I do. I do think it's important to develop these skill sets, you know, showcasing can be um, stressful and it, but it is a skill set just like headlining is a skill set and hosting is a skill set. And a showcase set is one thing. And a headline set is it's, it requires practice and dedication to sort of thinking about how best to approach it. Um, and then also the acceptance of on any given night, anyone can be the best right. and that you just don't know how everything's going to go. Cause there are factors that are out of your control. So you have to do your very best under those circumstances and just see how it works out. But I do, I do, I always want to try and walk a line of making people, putting people in a situation at showcases and at the festival where they're absolutely given their best chance at succeeding. Um, you know, we're, we're not interested in people failing. I want to see people do their very best. And so we want to create environments that allow for that to happen. The festival, it's so important to us to make it so that it's people can go do what they need to do and do it well with our support. Um, but also the festival is incredibly stressful for a lot of people and it's, it's a big deal and there's a lot of pressure and you're surrounded by your comedy heroes and a lot of people you don't know, you're not necessarily in your most comfortable place. Um, and so I kind of like when showcases are stressful for people because I want them to do well, but I also want them to feel the pressure because I need to see that people can Can work under the pressure. So there's no way to exactly recreate what happens at the festival, but it does, it has an impact on, you know, what, what I can expect from people down the road. Well, and there's, it's funny because actually just made me think of it now is that when you're new and you're doing all these open mics and things like that, and you're doing, you know, performing for five people, but there's 10 comics you work with regularly, you're, you're performing for the back of the room. You know what I mean? Like you're not trying to impress the audience. You're trying to impress the comics that you're coming up with. And of course, that's one of the things you try to get out of your system early on is that, you know, I don't know who cares who else is here. They're not buying a ticket for the show. It's the audience impress them and and this and that. But I could totally, totally see once you get to that festival, like you're saying, now you're there with your heroes and everything like that. Like I can see that mentality of almost like shit. Now I'm (laughs) trying to perform for the back of the room again because I know who's coming out next or, or whatever it is. And that is, yeah, it's something I'd never, I never thought of, but that's, that's going to mess with you too. Yeah. There are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of those factors that come into play when you're, when you're in that environment. That's crazy. 
All right, I changed my mind. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next question was going to be, uh, what's like, how important, now obviously this is a question that's not going to have a negative answer, but how important is it as the festival grows to to maintain a certain amount of Canadian content? It's it's absolutely essential. I mean, we have a responsibility, certainly as a, um, as a festival that exists in Canada, that it's a Canadian organization, that we support Canadian comedy. That's... I mean, there's certainly that aspect to it. But more than that, why wouldn't we? Like the the talent that's coming out of Canada is on par with everywhere else in the world. It's terrific. And why not showcase that? Um, you know, I think everybody knows it's not a secret that there are certainly rules about creating television. Right, of course. Um, where we have to put a certain amount of Canadian content on it. But we we would do that regardless. It's It's so important. And there's there is an opportunity here to showcase Canadian talent to the industry and audiences that are attending the festival um, live, but also the audiences that are out seeing, um, you know, the television shows once they're broadcast that, you know, can really make a difference for a Canadian. And it's we want to be a part of that. I mean, it, it benefits us, too, to celebrate Canadian comedians and support them um, because it, it just raises the bar across the whole country um, and offers an opportunity that people can strive towards. There's so many great opportunities in the country. We're just one of them. Um, and that, you know, I think goals and opportunities like that help people stay motivated and, you know, want to work towards certain things. And so absolutely we want to be supportive of that. Um, you know, Canada has a struggles with having a star system and being able to make Canadians famous in the way that you can make become famous in other parts of the world, especially in um, America. But, um, you know, I think things are improving. I think it's still a challenge, but we want to do what we can to think about that and, um, you know, help help people become recognizably um, successful. Yeah. There's a thing going on uh, this year. Um, obviously, the the petition about, you know, even when you said comedy is an art form, that the, the government still doesn't recognize stand-up comedy it's as bananas. an art form it it blows my mind yeah i know it blows my it's mind crazy um we would think it would just be an automatic thing and and you know <laughs> hands like hats off to sandra um Badalini for for spearheading all of that because yeah. a lot of people have talked about it for a number of years and complained about it and then and nobody did anything and she's doing something about it um and you know i i am excited for her and uh and the new association the canadian association for stand-up comics um you know will play a big part of that in helping to recognize things and i'm on that advisory board and i i know that sandra is so dedicated and there are other people working with her to do it um so dedicated to making things happen to help improve the situation for comedians so that they can, you know, be more successful. Yeah. I will. It's probably because they work for the government and they've traded their senses of humor. <laughs> so they're like, I don't understand comedy. Yeah. That's not our, I but, joke all the time. Being stuck in Ottawa, <laughs> we're surrounded by government buildings right now. So it's either, yeah, that's like the only two things that ever true. come out of Ottawa is government the, workers the and comedians. Two windows out of, out of this space just basically look directly into other buildings that look like they're absolute classic government buildings. Yeah, there's no character. They're gray. <laughs> They should have the same nets around them that the ones that the, <laughs> the Apple factories have. Uh, but I just, I, like I tease them all the time when I'm in town as I just say, you know, Hey guys, I didn't trade my dreams for security, you know, yeah. like it's, but I, I, I tease the government. We, myself and a couple other comedians, um, worked for Canada's 150th. We, uh, 
went and found some some grants that they were offering for art and um we put together um you know a proposal now the the comic uh who i don't know if he wants to be mentioned so that's the only reason i'm saying but he uh he applied he asked questions to see if we were eligible for the grant and they had said yes you guys are you know you're you're um, eligible we went and we basically the plan was to put on a show in every province of canada um and make it affordable so no more than $25 a ticket. And we were doing it in cities that don't normally get comedy. So instead of doing like Calgary and Edmonton, we would do like Banff and Red Deer, mm. you know? So places that don't normally get comedy, but of course it was, you know, the grant was from the government. So in honor of Canada's 150th is to showcase Canadian comedy of all representations in markets that don't normally get it for an affordable price. We had letters of interest from all theaters across, like the amount of work we did to get everything ready, huge names in comedy, that had sent us letters that they were on board to be a part of this. Like the the lineups were were incredible, and we submitted everything. And then like two days later, got a message saying, uh, "You're not eligible for this." And we appealed it, and they said that we're not eligible because there's already a support system in Canada for things like this. And we were like, "We would love to know what those are." Mm. So I mean, as we all know, government funding and you know anything like that can be a very complex process to go through, and it can be confusing and frustrating, um, you know, and that will likely continue. Um, you know that it's it's always going to be a lot of red tape and paperwork. I mean, grant application and funding applications is a skill set that you know very few people have, right. and that they've worked really hard to get better at. It's a lot of work, and. Um, you know, I think that that's not necessarily going to change that dramatically. But if if stand up is recognized as an art form and at least sort of you know ticks that box in the government right. world, then hopefully it will make the process a little smoother and a little bit more likely to succeed at least because that's yeah. a frustrating experience you guys had. Well, even I mean, it's life. I mean, I it is certainly not the first time I've been told no. But it was just one of those. I think that the biggest frustration was that we were we were told we were eligible, yeah. and then they just and then they stonewalled it after that. So it was it was again it was a cool thing to see the community behind us. Like so, it was cool to see the venues and the comics saying this is something absolutely that we would love to do. But just just very simply getting back to that whole you know like to to not even be considered an art form. Another reason that you know we love the fact that Just for Laughs is so great at showcasing Canadian content and things mm. like that, that, you know, you guys recognize it as an art form. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, we wouldn't have a business if it wasn't, but, um, and there really is so much, um, so much talent from coast to coast in this country. I'm lucky I get to go see it. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked about this. So this question seems, eh, again, I'm just saying you're judging my questions in advance. <laughs> what? I was going to say, uh, you know, I heard a great line yesterday. It's a door. Like I, in the last year, despite the fact that I haven't been so, so much focused on, you know, comedy and health, I've been very focused on like mindfulness and stuff. And I heard a great quote yesterday, which is, uh, what's the difference between a flower and a weed judgment. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I was like, yeah, that, that yeah. is very, very true. So trying uh, this is, I have found so little side thing. I have found that the, the happier I get, the more I learn and enlightened and everything like that. I am way less funny. Oh, really? Because I can't hold on to the anger to, yeah. that, to, that frustrates you to, to turn something over enough to make it funny. And you feel like anger is essential to, to the funny? I, I Maybe not essential, but the thing is, here's the thing. Happy people see, this is my interpretation of it. 
So I'm almost like, if I want to be like, I, I say that happiness is the cure to stand up. So I think a happy person sees something and they go, oh, that's weird. And then they let it go because they're fucking happy, right? They don't, they don't hold on to it. That's the stupid. Can you believe how stupid this shit is? And, da, da. and they just, you keep turning it over. And that's where you're almost like this. This was my interpretation of it is comedians. We process things we don't like with humor. If something frustrates us or makes us angry or whatever, you can make it more palpable by, by dis, uh, disarming it with humor, right? It's the same reason we get in shit when a tragedy happens and we make a joke, at least in my humble opinion, is that something happens, we make a joke about it, everyone jumps down our throat, but it's like, no, no, we weren't trying to be like that. It's just in order to look at something that tragic, our brains have to disarm it and disempower it by making it funny. You can't be afraid of something that's that you're laughing at. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I don't know. I feel like that's the mentality, but there's there's just a lot of like the idea is that in order to to write the joke and and to really make fun of something, you're being like critical, critical or cynical, right? And those never come from a, a happy place. So I find like that the the happier you get, the more you're able to just let go of things. Like, yeah, I I mean I think that there are a lot of comedians that need the the anger and. Um, or have to come from that place to find the funny. I, I really, I disagree though. I really think it's possible to be happy and funny at the same time. Um, I can't remember exactly how she put it, but Courtney Gilmore posted something not too long ago. She's a comic uh, out of Toronto and she posted something not that long ago that was about this exact thing that she, she doesn't, she didn't feel that it was necessary to be angry or sad or depressed to be able to be funny. You didn't have to hold on to all of that and in worry that you were going to lose your, your funny. Mm -hmm. I think it can be a struggle for some people for sure. And I think some people are better if they're, you know, if they're coming from whatever the places that they're coming from, which can be pretty dark sometimes, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's essential because I, I do think that people can stay funny, even if they work their way through some of their anger or depression. Um, and I know that's such a huge struggle for so many people in our community. Um, and they need the support, but I, I would hope that they don't worry that they're going to lose their funny if they, if they work through some of their issues and come out to another, another place. Cause I think it's, I think you're absolutely there. right. I think you're absolutely right. I, so I, I do agree with you. I think the struggle that I'm having is what I'm trying to do now is give myself to be angry in the moment. Mm. Cause, cause one of the things that I've been working on and all the listeners know this, so nothing new to them, but one of the things I've been working on is. I was I was in such a place for a while that I I was trying to not even let the anger happen. So um, I'll I'll share with something with you that I learned in the last couple of years, which has been a great tool. But it, what it does is it diffuses the anger even in the moment. So I I agree with you for something to happen, and then you take that that the pain and the feelings and you process it into something and you let it go. So now you can tell the story, but you've already let it go. I what I've done is my anger gets diffused immediately, so I don't even get to stay in that mindset where I'm like I said, disarming it or whatever it is, working through it that way. I just immediately move past it, recognize what it's, so somebody told me that anger is a secondary emotion to fear. Um, you cannot get angry unless you're feeling afraid. Mm. Now you're not necessarily aware of it. So for example, someone cuts you off in traffic, you're like, watch where you're going, you know what I mean? Like the idea is that you were afraid your car was gonna get damaged, you were gonna get hurt. The fear, even whether you recognize it or not, was there. Um, in any instance, if you feel yourself getting angry, there is a fear that exists somewhere, whether you, whether you know it or not. So for me, like I would get frustrated. I just, one of the things I did over the last few years was I was delivering pizzas for Domino's to help make ends meet. And I remember, you know, I do two, three deliveries in a row where you get no tip and come back frustrated and angry. Like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Da, da, da. Like these fucking people, you're just getting upset and angry. 
And you know, you stop in that instant. You go, "What am I? What am I afraid of? I'm angry. So what am I afraid of right now?" And you know, you start thinking, "Well, maybe I'm afraid that I'm I'm wasting my time. Maybe I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Like maybe like that's where that anger is coming from. It's not really that. And the thing is, a when you move from just anger and reacting to, okay, well, what am I afraid of? Now you've gone from emotional to a logical state. So you're actually working through it. Once you would, you might not even figure out what it is that you're concerned of. But if you recognize that that anger comes from fear and you start trying to think it out, at least you're not reacting anymore and you've diffused the anger part. But at the same time, if you do figure out what it is, well, now you know what you're afraid of. So you can work towards a solution as opposed to just being angry about it. Um, it's, it's helped me you know what I mean? With, with times, you know, uh, definitely I've, I've said before, it was affecting my, you know, just, just relationships in general, not angry at people, but just being an angry person. Sometimes it's hard to be around. Yeah. So anyways, um, it not only has it helped me with my anger, right? Cause like I said, now when I feel that anger, rather than being able to get mad in the instance and then move forward later, it's just, I diffuse it right away by going, okay, what am I afraid of? And it, it doesn't keep me at least in that headspace where I used to be funny or just processing the anger with humor. Um, but it's really changed how I look at other angry people because, you know, rather than seeing someone who's aggressive or angry or whatever, now I see someone who's afraid. Mm -hmm. So when I see someone who's upset, again, none of this is funny. Which no, but it's <laughs> a really good lesson in life in general. And, um, but I, I do, I do think it's like if someone, um, has a whole act that's about, uh, being married, right. right. And their whole bit, and then they get divorced and they're like, yeah, but what am I going to do now? I have to lose all that material right. or someone who's all their jokes about, be, are be, about being overweight and then they lose the weight. And then now what? I, th I think it's the same thing. You can be, you can, you have to, a challenge in front of you to start coming at your comedy from a different place. It's a big challenge. It's not, but it's not an insurmountable challenge. The comedy is still there. You just have to come, come at it from a different place than you used to. So even if you're not feeling the anger the same way, which is right. a really good, healthy thing, yeah. um, then you can still find it. You just have to get to a place where now you're coming at it from this other way. And it, that can be really hard, I think, for people to think about and can, and can seem like an insurmountable challenge, but it's still there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my current thing that I'm working on. I'm, I'm working on giving myself permission to get mad Yeah. rather than just going mad. Anger's not okay. Get rid of it. And this and that, I think I'm trying to give myself permission to at least, at least go through it and see what I come out the other end and then let it go. But at least I've got something that I can play around with and knowing what I was feeling at the time. Yeah. Thanks for being my therapist. So oh yeah. No problem. <laughs> my pleasure. <laughs> oh, what else have I got for you? I mean, I've asked about the difficult decisions and everything like that. I mean, it, it's it can't be easy. It can't be easy to. It's, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's 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 definitely a challenge because I can. There will never be a way to include everyone who deserves to be included. That's for sure. Um, and so uh, I will never make everybody happy. I'll never be able to do it. But I can do my very best and I can, you know, try and support the people that I get to support and I can encourage people to just work on being their best selves and to try not to um, stress too much and put too much importance in this one opportunity. There are a lot of other things in our lives to, you know, pay attention to. And I, like I said earlier, I think it's important to have goals, um, you know, and dreams and aspirations to work towards. But I think it's dangerous to start putting too much pressure on yourself that you have to get that thing. And then you lose focus on some of the other opportunities mm -hmm. you could have. And, um, 
there's a comparison hangover situation that's happening with so many elements of our lives now. You know, comparing our lives to someone else's life on social media is a dangerous, slippery slope for a lot of people. That's, yeah. But comparing your your success story versus someone else's success story in comedy um, has the same impact and can be really dangerous for for people and for their well-being. And I, it's very hard when you're, you know, working side by side with other people to not think, well, why did that person get that thing and I didn't? Yeah. Um, but there are just factors that are at play that you don't always understand. And it's so much better to accept what it is, keep striving to be your best and working towards things and asking for what you want and putting it out to the universe, but not putting all the pressure on it. Um, because you're, it's not always going to work the way you want it to work. But there's, if you can feel comfortable in your own self that you did your very best to make it happen, then that is pretty satisfying. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, I can't make I can't make everybody's day by, <laughs> by inviting everyone, but I uh, I do my best, and it is it can get uh, tough to say no to people, and I know upset people. Well, that comparison thing that's that's. You know, two, uh, t first off, two, two quotes I love. One is comparison is the death of happiness mm. because it doesn't matter how much you achieve. If you're comparing to other people, there's always going to be someone who did it better, who did it faster, did it more lucratively. Like you, you, if you're comparing all the time, you're never going to be satisfied. And you know, with, uh, geez, I had another one, but that's my brain forgetting everything. Yeah. Is, we, you know, we, we come from, not to get too cheesy and stuff, no, no, but please, from, please. we come from a place where we used to live in communities of 100 or 200 people. And so everybody in that community was the best at something. And now we're comparing ourselves to communities of millions of people at once. And so you're never going to feel like you're the best at something. And so all the best we can do is to be the best that we can be for ourselves. Right. That's the other quote is the, you don't have to be better than anybody else. You just have to be better than you were. If you're only comparing yourself against the person you were the day before, then it's a much easier, you know, barometer and, and, and goal to set is yeah. just be better than you were the day before. And that's when you, the perfect example was when you brought up social media, because that's the thing is what you're seeing on social media too. You're only seeing everybody's demo reel, yeah. the best themselves. Like even people in relationships will, will say, well, look at so-and-so and so-and-so they seem to always be happy. It's like, do you think anybody is whipping out their phone in the middle of an argument and going one second, they're just recording the fight so they yeah. can post that look trying to bring some balance to this uh, image here, guys. Like it's, it, it doesn't happen. No, we're seeing people's, the curated versions of people's lives for the most part, um, which is an impossibly high bar to live up to. If you're going to try and emulate that, it's just not possible. So, and we're all just human beings. The people who you're talking to every day, you don't know what's going on in their lives, yeah. you know, and the same, same way that I know that comics are coming on stage at a show, I don't know what happened in their day. I have no idea what's going on in most people's lives. I just know what I get to watch on stage for that seven minutes. Yeah. In that same way, they don't know what I went through that day. I'm just showing up to watch the show that day. We're yeah. all just human beings trying to go through our days doing the best that we can. And let's all be a little nicer to each other and accept yeah. that everyone is just trying to do their best. Well, that's, that's the, that is the best mentality to have. Like, I, I mean, the people I bump into on a daily basis, you don't know what happened to somebody. So just even yelling at somebody who cuts you off in traffic, like maybe they're scatterbrained because they just got the worst news of their life or something. Like you just, you don't know what other people are going through. So the best thing, again, the the more you practice empathy, the, the better you can make the world, right? Because yeah. if I yell at somebody, you know, and not to say that that was ever something that was in my character, but just, you know, I was capable at, at yelling at somebody in traffic. It's just like, 
if you've made the world that much worse that day by by that interaction. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's the stuff you try to avoid. And um, I know that people, um, you know, have a, a tough time sometimes with, with the role I'm playing and that I get to say yes to some people and say no to some people um, and get frustrated with that. And I can't always make everybody happy. But, um, you know, I hope people will understand that I'm doing my job as the best that I can. I don't always get it right. I'd like to think I mostly get it right. Yeah. But um, but nobody can do the, anything perfectly. And so um, if everyone could just cut everyone a little slack. <laughs> <laughs> You're I'm never going to please everybody. You're never <laughs> going to do pizza. it. I can't make everybody happy. The gluten-free people don't like pizza. <laughs> There's gluten-free pizzas now, though. Yeah, but they don't taste like food. Well, <laughs> my they? husband Tim <laughs> is gluten-free. And he says, is he? Yeah, he's found a couple good ones that he says are good, but I don't believe him. Do you, you know what? Domino's actually has a really good yeah, gluten-free I don't, pizza. I just don't believe it. I just, Try it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's a gluten-free crust, so it's kind of like, it's like a, uh, okay, um, spinach dip. You know the pita things that they give you, and it's like kind of squishy, yeah. whatever. It's not deep fried like pita, but but that texture of sort of like the the little points where it's sort of crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. Yeah. that's the gluten free crust at Domino's. Yeah, so if you like good. that texture, I mean, it's definitely pizza things are getting better in the gluten free world. I think. I mean, that's what Tim says that he's getting, <laughs> finding some good options, but I don't know. That's so funny. I don't. I can't stand the gluten free stuff. John Panette had great stuff on on the the gluten free things. He did. Rest his soul. He was a sweet person. He was. Um, what I this was something that popped in my head when you were, when you were speaking. Is I wanted to ask you, have you learned? Because because in your position, there's lots of people. You know, trickle down similar situations. Have you learned any like um, exercises or or things to make? Because like I said, I, I've tried with you many times. I could tell you're a good person. Um, it is like you said. It isn't easy making this. Is, is there anything that you've you've learned or been able to sort of, I guess, anything you can share with other people making similar decisions like that to make it easier, mm-hmm. or any or anything that when you feel yourself, because I'm I'm crazy empathetic too, and it breaks my heart on a super small scale. Is there anything that you've learned, sort of, like maybe something that you've you keep reminding yourself that helps making these things easier, that helps when interacting with the. The, the, I don't know. Just does that make sense? What I'm asking? I don't yeah, know how to phrase so. it, but I mean, I think there are a couple of things. I think over the years, I've learned to trust my gut more and just rely on my instincts. You know, I've been doing this, I think, long enough to have pretty good instincts about things, um, and that I should trust those initial thoughts that I have about about the best way to do things. Um, and I think that's played a big role in it because ultimately it's an impossible decision. You know, if I'm looking at two different people and they're both incredibly talented, but I only have one spot to give and they both do a great job, how else can I possibly decide? Um, And I do think that trying to look at all situations when I go into showcases, when I'm in festival mode, when I'm at shows that we're producing around the world, wherever, I, I really try just to be in the moment with the people that I am and, and that are there with me and try to experience what they're experiencing and, and, and make, sh- make it as good as it can be for anyone that's there in the space with me. Um, I think, I think comedy shows do better when people feel good and feel heard and feel, um, you know, put at ease because they're just in a chill environment. And I, I do better when I'm in just a chill, relaxed yeah. space. And that when we all just treat each other gently, I think is a nice, nice way to, 
to approach all all of these experiences. And showcases are a good example of that because I know the vibe can be intense for a lot of people and heightened and everybody wants a, a minute with me or with you know whoever is there. And, um, and if we all just relax a little, I think it yeah. can be not in a condescending way, but just in a, you know, we're all just going through our lives together. So let's all just chill and hang out. I think... I try and bring that into the spaces that I'm in and hopefully that puts people at ease, which gives people a better chance at succeeding and being themselves. Yeah. Do you have, um, I mean, that's always one of the questions is do you have any advice for, for comedians? Maybe not necessarily, well, for the showcase, but then the after part, because my experience has been that after the show, you, you stick around. I've showcased for other people where it's like after the show, they're there for like five minutes. They've seen and recorded what they're there to do and they go. You've always been, uh, from what I've seen, very generous with your time. I've seen you stay for hours after the show and, and, and take the time to speak with everybody. You know, is there any, well, any advice for, you know, for, well, I mean, the showcase, we've talked a lot about, but to prepare for the showcase, but at the same time, maybe a little bit of advice in terms of how I don't want to take yourself. too much credit for, for, the times that I stay after shows because I don't always. Okay. So this week is a perfect example. I've had two showcases this week so far, Monday and Tuesday. Okay. Monday I was at the Rivoli in Toronto and I was tired and I had a long day <laughs> and um, I had to fly the next morning and um, I was just a bit out of my element and I left immediately after the show. And I know for sure I disappointed people that wanted to talk and catch up and, um, and I love the Rivoli. It's my, it's my home and I just didn't have it in me to do it. I'd seen the show and, and, um, I'd gotten what I needed from it and I, and I bailed immediately. Okay. And then last night I was at absolute and I knew that I could, um, get a good sleep and I wasn't flying the next day. And I also know that Jason, um, Jason's hope is that I'll talk to all the comics and that all the comics will get a chance to talk to me. And so everybody sticks around. It's a great vibe. Not that the vibe wasn't great elsewhere, but yeah, I yeah. just had that ability to be able to hang out. And I hung around for a long time last night and talked to everybody, I think. And and I, I like it when I can do that, but I also am not always the best at it. I mean, professionally, I want to be the best at it and be able to talk to everyone. I think personally, I find that difficult to... Um, have all of those conversations. I'm not. I'm not as social as people think I am, and so I'm. I'm not always the most comfortable in that environment, with a lot of expectation on what that conversation is right. for people. Um, so I think it just depends on the day. You know, I have to fly again tomorrow morning, and I'll have people with me at the show tonight. So I don't know if I'll be sticking around. I don't. I don't plan one way or the other. I kind of just wait to see what's going to happen on the night of. But I, I know that people are hopeful to talk, um, and I try to give it to them, but I don't always do it. <laughs> um, but well, again, we're all human, yeah. right? At the end of the day, like, I, I personally, I was the kind of guy who would stay up all night and chat, and, and not the comedy thing, but I kind of get my fill doing stand-up and, and chatting. So I, myself, am, rather than wanting to be social all the time, I, I'm social when I'm out, but I, too, really appreciate my me time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, and so do I. And, you know, my schedule is a bit hectic, so I don't get a lot of it. So uh, I definitely feel that as well. But I also love talking about the business of comedy. Mm. And I do like having genuine conversations with people. Um, and that happens. If I stick around, that that will happen. Not with everyone, but with some people, I'll be able to have genuine, insightful conversations with people that are either about 
comedy and the business of comedy or about their lives and my life. And you can gain real, um, I think there's a lot to gain from those kinds of conversations. And I really like them a lot. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't always work out like that. A lot of the time it's just talking about the weather and, you know, my schedule and traffic and planes and small talk, small talk, which, you know, is there's something to be said for it, but I, you know, I don't want to do it 20 times in a night. It can just be, <laughs> I don't want to do it so. 20 times in a year. I like, I, I, I get it, but I'm, I'm the same thing too. Is it's, well, let's put it this way. Time is a currency. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, I just to illustrate what you're saying, like, yeah, you can't always stay, but at the same time, you know, you'll spend two hours with me chatting you know, about, about comedy and the business on the podcast. So like, I, I appreciate you spending the time, you know, chatting with me now about it. I but. do genuinely really like it. I really do. And I, I just to go back to it a little bit about hanging out after shows, mm -hmm. I am also very hyper conscious of putting myself in the shoes of the people who are showcasing. And last night was a good example. You know, I haven't done a showcase in Ottawa in two years and so it was the first time people were seeing me in a space, um, you know, in two years. And so I'm so aware that they really, it's so, it's a night that they've been looking towards for a long time that they've been thinking about and preparing for. And I'm so grateful um, that people do it, you know, just for laughs wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the enthusiasm of comedians, you know, who want to perform at it. Um, and so all of that plays into what I need to do for my job. And I'm incredibly grateful that people do it. Um, but also yesterday was just another day. It's just mm -hmm. a day. And I, I can only, you know, it can, it just is, has to exist in its own world, but also I'm so empathetic to what people are experiencing in that in that night and how I, what role I play in it. Well, it's fun having you. Like Thanks. I said, I mean, like <laughs> I, I can I only imagine for yourself too, to have those, those conversations all the time. Like I, it's funny enough. I started this podcast, not just because, you know, it's the industry and you want to get stuff out there, but I personally, I've sounds self-serving saying I, I have a lot of friends and I, I meet a lot of people and I genuinely like meeting new people and having conversations. The problem is, is now I've got a lot of people who want to get together and spend time and I want to spend time with them. The problem is I'm having the same conversation every time I meet people. What's new with you? So I'm sharing everything that's been going on. And now that hour that I was able to slice out and make time for has just gone to me telling the same thing that I've been telling anybody else who's asking. So yeah. I kind of have fit a need with the podcast is that I, I talk about what's going on with me comedically and personally and all that for an hour a week. And now if anyone wants to know it's over I here, listen you that. listen at your leisure. And when we get together, we can just hang out and have fun and, and chat with we'll chat about you. Cause I'll listen to that. That's new to me. Yeah. What's going on with you. That's always new. I'm not just having the same conversation personally. I'll, I'll take my mom grocery shopping on Sundays and if she, her phone rings and she talks to two or three people, I listen to her tell the same story. I live with Jason. I hear that guy tell the same story to six different people yeah. all day every day. And I go, I just, I can't do that. I don't, I've, I tell it once and here's it is. And if you're interested, it's right over here. The, this, <laughs> this, this ability though, to share our lives mm -hmm. to some degree with social media or podcasts or whatever, um, can often be a one way thing that, that messes with a relationship. Jim, that Jimmy Kimmel podcast I was just telling you about mm -hmm. like when he, he and Dak Shepard were talking, they talked about this, about how like Jimmy um, is a friend of Howard Stern's and Howard is, you know, he shares his whole life all the time. So you can, on the air, so you can hear about his whole life all the time. So Jimmy feels like he's staying in touch with his friend Howard because he listens to him every mm -hmm. day and knows about what's in his life. And 
forgets that, of course, Howard doesn't know what's going on in Jimmy's life because Jimmy isn't doing the same thing. And so the, the relationship becomes imbalanced. And that's absolutely a thing. I I mean, I know it has been two years since I've been here, but I feel like I know what's going on here because I'm right. watching people. I'm keeping an eye on things and I'm seeing people's social media posts. I have some idea of what's going on in the community, community and so on. And then I realize, oh, but they don't know what's going on in my world or what's happening with me. And I've just showed up thinking, oh yeah, it hasn't been that long since I've seen everybody. It happens all the time. I'll run into someone and think, I know all about your life and they don't know anything about mine. <laughs> it's such a strange dynamic to be in when you when it becomes imbalanced like that. But yeah, it does eliminate the need to repeat the stories when you just put it out there for the yeah. whole world to know. Well, and and my listeners, like a lot of them are friends. Like I have, it's funny because when I told my mother that's what I was going to do, she didn't know what it was. She's like, well, I think it's sad you don't want to talk to people anymore. I said, it's not that I don't want to talk to people. I just don't want to tell the same stories. But I have reconnected through the podcast with friends who live all over Canada that are regular listeners that email in now. So it's funny too, even my close circle of friends will email in when something happens. So not only are they hearing what's going on with me, but if someone writes something into the podcast, well, now everyone's hearing that. So everyone's kind of sharing yeah, it's kind of a cool hub yeah i went to a barbecue uh in the summertime with one of my buddies and at one point he just sort of looked over at me and he was like so what's new with you and he goes oh well i guess i know what's new with you and i go <laughs> he goes that must be good i go dude it's great it's great what's new with you he what just you made want? it all worthwhile it was oh yeah absolutely moment. i'm like we just saved because it's a, like going back to the whole reason i brought it up is is the the currency of the time right because time is something we we don't get back so for you to be having small talk about the weather I get it. It's one of those, like, I want to talk to you, but I don't really know about what and, and kind of things versus just like you said, if you're, if it's a genuine conversation, if it's interesting, if you're sharing stuff and you're learning things, then that's something, but to just talk about the weather, it's like, uh, don't you have an app for that on your phone? Yeah. Can, uh, <laughs> yeah. I checked it before. I but also people want to talk and I get that too. And it's hard to know what to talk about when you don't know people very well. You can't just immediately dive into the depths of someone's personal life. You know, you have to kind of, that's true. Do you have any suggestions? No. What's, what is your opening? No idea. No idea. I haven't mastered it in any way, shape or form. And I do, I wonder, this is a question for you do you Ooh. think that people in showcase mode okay um do you think that comics who want to talk to me after the show feel as though i'm going to be able to i don't know answer all of their underlying questions about comedy and where they're going and what their world is going to be and whether or not they're going to get just for laughs or i always feel like they're maybe hoping We're i'm going to searching for validation yeah, but I, I, I sort of, I guess I always sort of have this feeling that after showcases that people talk to me and think I'm going to, I don't know, offer or offer, um, you know, just the right note to say, if you could just do this, you know what you're doing, do this and you'll, the world is your oyster. I feel like people expect that from me, but maybe that's just me putting that on them. I don't really know. Oh, I, no, you're, you're not wrong at all. I, I think it's one of those like, it's like the not knowing. So you don't like you have what you feel is a good set. It's it's one of those things where I guess it's it's like the feedback. Feedback that everything you illustrated is absolutely true. Like for me, I do want to just have a genuine conversation with people, stuff like that. I don't um I <laughs> I don't like everything I do. I'm still in the mindset that I can't believe anyone's ever laughed at anything I've ever said. Like, so for me, I, I think I've shared, I shared the story super early with you. I might, might save it for later, but I just know. Um, and it's one of my questions that I have for you. I, I truly, I don't know what every comic is looking for. I think it's like anything else. It, it is definitely, it's gotta be a business thing for them at the time was just 
they want feedback. They want, like you said, like it's like the the perfect note. Uh, it it really goes back to that you can't please everybody. So who knows what they're looking for? It's got to be the same and different for every comic. Every one of them is basically has to be entertaining some sort of fantastic make a wish thing that they're going to sit down with you and you're going to say, by the way, you got it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's it, it's it. I but that's just me speculating. I know that. I know that I want to know what it is looking for because I I have all sorts of different thoughts and ideas. So for me, it would be, you know, I'd be interested to know just basically like at the end of the day, we're there because we want to do the festival. So I think maybe part of it is, like I said, there's the validation, there's the perfect notes. That's, I mean, it's a great question, but I, speaking on behalf of just myself, it's one of those kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I, I knowledge is power. You know, you want to learn exactly what, what it is yeah it's it's really hard but i think honestly the straight answer is i think <laughs> there's this notion just just, gonna you're just say. gonna hope you're just gonna lean and you go yeah all right don't tell me what you got it you know yeah so well it's not doesn't it's work hard. like that no so. god no and that's that's the thing is you're basically what is what is the expectation and that's the problem with dealing with comics we our expectations are insane yeah and i think that it has never happened that after a showcase someone actually just asked the question so what did you think of my set Almost never. No one asks that? Never. It often happens that I'll have a conversation with someone after a show that is about the weather or sometimes about something more more personal or more whatever, but they don't it doesn't we don't talk about their set. Right. And um and then they'll email me late that night. Oh really? Like, you know, it was really good to talk to you, but also I didn't I didn't talk to you about my set, but can I get some feedback on the set? And it's like, well, <laughs> It's very hard to offer feedback on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sets each year. It's just a time thing, not an interest thing. But um, but it's also about because the set is what the set is. I'm not. I am never going to say, "Can you please change what you're doing right. to 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 make it work so that it's what I need to see." I don't. I'm never ever going to say that. I I might be very interested in working with someone and say to them. Um, listen, could you deliver this kind of specific thing that I'm looking for in the context of what you do? Or or would you be interested in going down this path with us? I might have those conversations, but I'm never going to say, hey, you need to change how you're doing your stand-up to right. fit what I'm looking for. Right. That's just, and it shouldn't be what comics want to do. They should, they should do what they want to do in the way they're doing it and do it to the very best of their abilities and then let things happen. Um, as a result of putting themselves in positions to be considered for things. Right. Um, yeah, I'm never kind of like a relationship, say, right? It's like, I'm going to change who I am to fit this relationship. Like, no, just be you. Just be and you. if we fit together, yeah, then, then, then great. Everybody yeah. wins. Yeah. It's very much like that. That's a good way of explaining it. Yeah. But nobody ever asks me. Well, now we've got at least 13 people that will. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I'm not running out of time, but I'm definitely gonna be more, more conscious of it. I do need to go soon. I'm love. I could keep talking forever. I'm going to go. I hope this is enjoyable. It is. Yeah. I really Um, like talking about comedy. Yeah, me too. Um, I like some of the questions are, do you have advice, but you're giving great advice as it is. So, so would your advice be to stick around and chat with you? I mean, I know it's it's sort of an odd question, but But also, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't ultimately change things. I like talking to, um, I I don't dislike talking to people. I'm people who know me know I'm not a super big fan of talking to strangers. (laughs) I don't actually, (laughs) I'm not a big fan of being social. Okay. Um, but I do, I am, I do it after shows and stuff, but I don't expect anybody to do it. It's not going to change anything to have that conversation. Um, I think, Asking me for notes on the set is 
not super helpful to anybody. I mean, I can I can tell you a little bit, but not really. I'm not going to offer you the key to success. Right. <laughs> um but I think it's everybody's personal choice. There are some people who also don't like talking to, they don't like the pressure of that situation and would rather leave. And I totally get that too. And there, I have a couple of people that I, I know um, it's not there. They're not comfortable in that situation. And so we have an agreement. We'll just high five and go about really? our business. And, That's super cool. Um, you know, so I I get it either way. I think it's just everyone's personal taste, and I hope people understand that sometimes I'm just not going to stick around, and it's not about them or not about my interest in that show. It's just about my world and my life in that moment. Um, yeah, I don't really have any particular advice. I think I think I'd like it. So I'd like it if people understood that I'm not necessarily going to be able to offer thoughts on people's yeah. sets and feedback because it's just not what I do, and I just don't have the time to do it for everybody, um, which I think is disappointing to some people. Um, I also don't know that it's my job to, I'm happy to help people, but I don't know that it's my job to help you be better comics necessarily. That sounds a bit harsh, but I don't, I don't think that that's actually my role. My role is to let people be great comics and find the great comics and then, and then invite them to do things with us. That makes sense. If you were buying a car, it's not your job to sit down at the dealership and tell them every single make and model and why you didn't decide to buy it. Yeah. And and what would make this car better for me to want to buy it? (laughs) Do you imagine how long that would take just just purchasing anything? But I I do feel like there's an expectation that that's part of my job, but I don't, I don't think that I, I think it's part of my role um, and that I would rather people just do you do you as the kids say you do yeah. you and I will um, you know hopefully yeah. get to catch that it's the I mean maybe that's a great great way of looking at it it's just at the end of the the transaction say thank you so much for for coming in and taking a look appreciate it and hope to hear from you yeah and this is very equal footing right as much as people are always thanking me for coming to showcases i'm the one that wants to thank them for actually participating in the process because the process is um can be intimidating and can be frustrating and so i'm genuinely grateful that people want to be a part of the process and want to be seen and are willing to give up their time um you know to get on stage in that particular environment for me to be able to see them. So it's a two-way street for us to work together to make you know these things happen. Um, and so I hope people feel that from me because you know I, I anyone who gets on stage and tells jokes immediately has my respect and admiration, regardless of how the set goes, because I can't do it. So if if I mean it's it's too intimidating to me to get on stage and tell, really? tell of course I can't possibly really no it makes me super freaked out to get on stage and have a microphone, um and so I, they already have my respect that guaranteed that they've done it you know that they're willing to put themselves out there like that so we're already off to a good start oh that's good <laughs> I can't do the nine to five Monday to Friday like the government buildings we're looking at. I couldn't do that. People come to the show like, I could never do what you do. Look, I couldn't do what you do. Yeah, isn't it a nice world we live in that all of those options are available to us? (laughs) I'll just hide in a cubicle under fluorescent (laughs) light. Feels like the marijuana to me. That's what they are. They just sit there and they grow under fluorescent lights. Well, they don't grow, I don't think. (laughs) I don't I think some people do. I think some people thrive in that environment, you know, and I don't think you or I would, but I think that some people do. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna edit out your positive spin on it. Yeah. I'm just I'm sticking with it. This is me at work right now, hanging out, drinking coffee and talking in a hotel. (laughs) Do you uh this is this is I mean I, I think 
do you have any advice for comics who've given up on showcasing or at the same time are are you or the festival ever done seeing someone that's a good question really good question um I totally respect if someone doesn't want to participate in the process and doesn't want to showcase. Um, you know, there are times when someone will pass on a showcase in a year that is for their own reasons at that moment. And all I've asked of them is to tell me something about why so that I understand how we continue a conversation in the future. Um, and I would certainly understand if someone decided that showcasing and that process isn't for them and if they want to be considered in another way if they want to you know send video i'm certainly open to that um i know that this process can be frustrating and can feel as though it's futile and so i get it i really i really do i really do try and put myself in other people's shoes um, you know, I would hope people wouldn't, I'd hope they'd talk to me about it first or explain themselves so that I understand and can try to offer some insight from my side of the equation that helps them at least understand it better. Even if they choose to stay away from the process, I totally understand that. But in terms of not, in terms of being done seeing someone, I think that is a really complicated mm -hmm. question because there are definitely there are definitely years, it's a tough one. Yeah, because and I, I know it's so broad. And yeah, because there's there are always things that we're doing. The right. festival in Montreal is always changing and morphing into different things, and we're always having different conversations about the mandates for that year. There are always events. There are always these other festivals. There are other things, um, other opportunities that are not just limited to the scope of what I think most people think of when they think of the festival, you know, that there are other opportunities. And so someone who might not necessarily fit into what they think is what we're looking for that year might not be aware of all the other opportunities and what could come of just staying engaged. But I, I do think that there are times when it's, there's a, there's a, there's a focus on what we're doing that could mean that it doesn't make sense for certain people to stay in the process or, or ask to be considered because it just isn't going to fit that those pieces of the puzzle aren't going to fit together in any given year. But my job is really about being aware of all the comedians that exist right, and what they do, where they fit into things, you know, what their style is and approach and, you know, their history, all of it, to know when something comes along, who who to go to. So I wouldn't ever want to eliminate someone entirely from the conversation. Um, but at the same time, I don't want everyone to think that there's always an opportunity and be mad that they weren't given right. it. Um but it's a constantly shifting landscape. I don't, I am putting a puzzle together and I don't have the picture of what the puzzle is right. most of the time. So I'm just figuring it out as I go. And I rely on the wealth of knowledge that I have from my history of comedy to, to make that, that puzzle come together. I don't think I totally answered your question. No, no, but, but I, I don't think one. that it's a hard one to answer because, and at the same time, you're not going to say, oh yeah, there's people that I've decided, no, I'm not interested. Like it's, that's not a, that's not an answer you can give. Um, it's just one of those, I guess it's, it's, um, 
it was a fascinating question to me. It's one that's like, I mean, even just to, to get talking like you were, that's really all it is. It's just because in my head I go, I've, I've showcased before. And for me, I want to give you something different every time I perform. I've, but I've also been on those showcases where the same person shows up every year and they're doing the same seven minutes in my head. I look my, and it, what do I know? I go, well, you've done that before. And if you didn't get picked for it, you know, I would assume that it's not like at the beginning of the year, it's groundhog's day for you. You've forgotten everyone's act and you need to see it again because maybe this year that act is right. So I guess part of that question was like, obviously to show you, if you've been showing the same things, then that piece of advice to show you something that you haven't seen before. Um, is there a time or place where you would suggest showing the same set from four years ago again, because maybe it's not fresh or, you know, you guys record them at times, uh, if not always. So that's just, that was one of those things in my head clanging around. Is it like, is that approach different every single time mm. the best course of action or, or should, you know, you, you stay the course? Cause here's the thing when we're new, at least with Jason, this is my experience. My, my environment is that Jason says, show me the same thing over and over again. I want to see it working time and again, because then I know I can book it. It works. So there's different mentalities floating around, which I guess at the same time, I will, I will lead into my next question, which is what are some of the misconceptions of the festival? I think there are a lot of misconceptions about the festival. I think that's a whole, that's a yeah separate answer. But in terms of the approaching showcases, I think that also I have a sort of a vague answer on and not a very specific, um, you know, piece of advice for anyone, because I think it's a little case by case. Mm -hmm. I think that there are benefits in um, in bringing something new to the table every time. And in that FAQ document that I sent you, the note is, listen, the set doesn't have to be entirely new, but it'd be nice if it wasn't all the same thing. Right. But it also needs to be your strongest set. So um, it's finding whatever that balance is that answers those, that ticks all those boxes. Mm. I, I think that, um, if you're going to bring the exact same set um, to a showcase that you've showcased before, uh, there's a benefit in staying fresh in our minds. You know, even if I've saw I saw you last year and saw the showcase last the same set last year, there's a there's a benefit to say still saying yes to the showcase, even if you are going to do the same thing because I'm I'm going to be that's going to be fresh in my memory. Mm -hmm. However. I will definitely know that you did the same set as you did last year because I always check comparing the last couple of years of notes to the current notes to see improvement, to see change, to see progress of some kind. So I'll know about it. Um, and I won't think that's ideal because it doesn't show any progress or growth. What what does that, from my perspective, what does that tell me? Does that tell me that that person hasn't written any new jokes? Does that tell me that that person has written new jokes, but none of them are as good as the same set that he showcased or she showcased last year. Because if that's true, then that's not that's not saying very much about about the progress of your of your art. Right. So Jason and I have very different ways of looking at this because we're doing two very different different jobs, despite it actually on the surface they look the same. Um, and uh, and as a result. You know, I, I can see how it would be c confusing to someone to try and figure out what to do. But 
I, I would rather see progress, but still see quality. Right. I'd rather see that someone is continuing to develop and write and still doing great at it. You know, in a, in a terrific world, someone showcases three years in a row, every year is terrific, and every year is different material. Right. So now I'm like, okay, that person's been around for a while, has been killing it for a long time, and is consistent every time that they get on this showcase. That's someone that, you know, appeals to me. So, but at the same time, if that's all you've got and you want to stay on the radar, then it is better to be seen than not seen. I mean, we should have this conversation yesterday. (laughs) Better to be seen than not seen, but also um, it's not a huge drawback to not be on a showcase. Live showcases are the ideal. It's my favorite way to see people. I think it's most people's favorite way to be seen. Right. But it's not the only way to be considered for the festival. Right. Well, like you said, you mean to do the videos, but the videos does have that social media thing where this was best case scenario and it was handpicked by them to send you. This was the... So yeah, that live showcase, that's where the pressure is there. Yeah. That was... There's no edits and no you know retakes or anything like that. And there's no question that as an audience member, experiencing comedy live in the room is the best way to experience it. So the video might be a little more curious Curated, but it's still watching a video, which also has a tiny bit of drawback to it. Right. And seeing a set in the room is always the best way to experience someone's comedy. True so there story. are pros and cons to both of them. And there are pros and cons to different ways of approaching the set. Um, and a, yet again, I have not fully answered that's the okay. question. These, again, these are just chatting about it and hopefully people are picking their own pieces of it and just seeing the value, just little things that are getting their brains going and, and looking at it a different way. That's, Do you think it comes across that I'm just making it up as I go along? Cause it's, it who feels like that fucking isn't, <laughs> who isn't I, the person who walks up and says, listen, I've got every answer pre-rehearsed. <laughs> that's a weird person to me. I don't yeah. want No, I mean, that's we're we're just people. Just, right and these yeah. questions i didn't submit them first or anything like that i clearly didn't reread them myself <laughs> with how prepared i am i think um you know i'm just trying to look and see here i've gone through almost everything that that isn't sort of you know slight repeats of, of other things but i guess um this is the question that, that I, I thought i'd end with is what do you think doing the just for laughs festival means to a comedian wow i think it means different things to different people i think there are a lot of um, comedians that have been around for a while and have grown up watching the show and um, the show on TV and it feels like the thing to strive for because it's sort of what they think of as being, um, you know, the peak. Um, and I think that there are some people who um, I think it means validation to them. And I know that that's a big deal and everybody, I mean, everybody just wants validation in their Mm -hmm. world. But to be able to point to something and say, look, mom, look, dad, look, grandma and grandpa, you know, hey, Aunt Terry, like, check it out. (laughs) I'm doing, this is a thing. This is a real job. And look, and I know that that can be um, a validation that a lot of people are looking for and Just for Laughs can help help with. I think a lot of people just want to be included in this big comedy event that they, you know, are, are they're comedy nerds like most of us are mm-hmm. and just want to be in comedy nerd kingdom for a little while. I think it means a lot to a lot of different people. Um, a lot of, it means different things to different, a lot of different people. Um, but I, I do think that for a lot, a lot of comics, they have put it on their goal list of a thing to achieve. Yeah. Um, 
and that it can feel really rewarding to get that invitation. Yeah, I mean, I know that for myself, the mentality has been, uh, like you said, the validation, the look, look mom, look dad. Um, there's different people who who I've heard their interpretations of it. Like some people look at just for laughs, like, hey, I've arrived. And, and to an extent, yes. For me, I look at it personally as like the, and again, it's my own perception, but the comedy diploma. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to like, hey, I've made it and it's all downhill from here. Yeah. It's more of like, like you said, the, the validation, here's the diploma. It means I'm good enough to do this at a professional level. I've been recognized by the biggest curator of, of comedy in the world. Um, and now go do something with it. So now it's not a, you know, can I do it? Can I not? It's okay. Now you've got that skill set. Now go do something with it. Yeah. So that one's, it's not like the, it's not the be all and end all, but it's not nothing either. It's, it's that sort of thing where you just go, look, look, I did it. And, uh, and now every time I convince myself that I'm not good enough or I'm just fucking around and I'm, I'm, you just, you have that and you go, no, 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 no. You you got that, that recognition that it is, even if it's just seven minutes on something that isn't on TV, it's just, you know? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I totally get that. There are definitely people who have made just for laughs a goal that once they achieve, they struggle after what, what happens after, because mm-hmm. inevitably you could play, you know, you could be doing a, a gala at just for laughs that's filmed for television in front of 3000 people hosted by some huge celebrity comedy person and, and be in that world for a little while. And it feels that good. And then two days later, you are playing for 20 people in a bar in some town that, you know, was just one of your regular gigs that you were booked to do. Yeah. And that can be a roller coaster that is very hard for people to navigate. It's not the be all end all. It doesn't change your life um, in a way that is an overnight success story that I think uh, people dream of. It does have an impact. There are long-term consequences. There are opportunities that can come from it. Don't get me wrong. I, Hmm. I do think that it's a pretty great thing for a lot of people, but it doesn't it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't change your world overnight in a way that suddenly makes it all different or better or whatever. It can be very hard for people to come come down from the festival high. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's yeah, well it's another one of those things that it's different for a lot of people. Um Daniel, we got to get him to do it. Yeah. Maybe he's, he's just he knows going what's going to happen afterwards. He's no. like, "No, not not riding that roller coaster." No, and he's incredibly he's already very successful in the way he's decided to do things, very successful. So, it's a different thing for him. I I will work with Daniel one day, I believe it, but it won't be in the traditional context of the festival, I think. Yeah. Uh, not the Montreal festival at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Zoe, I mean, I'd love to keep going, but I think, uh, I think I, it's so funny. I, I, I think I shared this with you earlier, but I think it's funny. I just want to, just the perspective I was having last night getting ready for it is, is I'm, uh, I have to, to, to wrap things up cause I have a doctor's appointment and I just thought it was funny that I'm, I'm sitting down with you now. I'm talking to the person who could at some point give me the best news and I'm going to see the person who's capable of giving me the worst You're news. You're on a roller coaster day. <laughs> it's a, it's going to be a weird day. And I have, I, I, I've d- tested like a while back. And I have heard nothing, which is usually good news, right? They it test is. you and they don't hear anything. That is then the, then that's you should, what they tell you. Yeah. We're only going to call if there's something we need but to talk I'm, to you about. I'm such a pessimist. I know I'm going to sit in there and say, oh, listen, sorry. I uh, meant to call you. lost the notes. Here's the bed. I don't know <laughs> what's wrong with me. but <laughs> I mean, we, we, I think we innately prepare ourselves for the worst in lots of cases. I think a lot of people do that. I think you expect the worst so that you're prepared for it if it happens. And yeah. then if it doesn't, then, you know, good news. It's, yeah. 
My mom used to say that. That was something she said all the time. Uh, expect the worst, hope for the best. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I think it's a pretty human instinct to, yeah, to expect like that. I hope it goes okay today. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be run of the mill. Like, again, my listeners know all the things going on, but I think it's going to be run of the mill. Like, all right, buddy, how's the progress going? And I go, little to, little to none, Doc. And he goes, all right. <laughs> that's pretty much. I'm hoping that's best case scenario for me. Um, but no, it's going to be fine. And I, I'm, I don't mean to be ominous with it. But uh, Well, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. And you'll figure it out. That's we'll, true. Pe- we just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you know, even when we have challenging things in front of us. It's the best we can do. So I'm confident that whatever it is, or however it goes, you'll find a way to just put one foot in front of the oh, other. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm enjoying this conversation only in the sense that I'm like, now I really have to work hard for, for next year. I'm going to be on the radar three times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> no more giving up. Everyone everyone heard I told the story yesterday of uh, of, of the uh, the showcase. So um, yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to to chatting again sometime soon. Yeah. You know, this was too. a lot of fun. Um, I hope you have a blast tonight at the, uh, the Yuck Yuck Showcase. Thanks. All right. And uh, anyone who, well, they won't hear this till Friday, but uh, maybe I'll put on social media, just message them. No weather talk. <laughs> no small talk. Zoe's <laughs> no, exhausted. No, it's okay. And I it's don't been mind. snowing for five days straight in Ottawa. So yeah. the weather is garbage. It is we garbage. And that. I'm okay to talk about that. I am, I am, I actually like talking about the weather surprisingly. Yeah, because it really impacts, I think, our days. And it, you know, can make or break my day sometimes <laughs> and the mood that goes with it. So I'm okay to talk about it. The weather and, and people's dogs and my dog. I'm yeah. always happy to talk about people's pets. <laughs> dogs are the best. They are. That'll be our... our That's a whole our, other podcast. Oh, yeah. I, we can do two hours on just dogs. Yeah. That will be comfortable. Yeah. I, I never get sick of talking with dogs. <laughs> George Carlin, right? That was uh, that was his thing when he when he said like, that's the secret of life. That life is a series of dogs. I didn't. I don't think I've ever yeah. heard that quote. That's he great. talks about all of his it's all of his dogs. He goes, "That's that's the secret of life. Life is a series of dogs. You yeah. just keep getting new dogs." I believe it. Yeah, they all bring such <laughs> thing. Anyway, I really could go off on a tangent to talk about dogs. Yeah, and maybe uh, that's a secret though for anyone listening. If you want to talk to Zoe, talk about dogs. <laughs> just that that's a good icebreaker. <laughs> Dogs are helping you even when they're not present. Yeah, they're the best. They're. Well, I really appreciate you, you know, taking all this time to sit down and chat with me. Um, as always, generous with your time. It's fun to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. She's not as scary as it may seem, okay? She's a wonderful human being. Come talk to Zoe. Just make it brief. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Zoe. Thanks, Josh.